Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and let me be the first to say happy week nine, everyone. Just about halfway through the 2021 season. And as always, on this lovely Tuesday I'm recording, Wednesday that you're listening, I am joined by none other than PFF Senior Analyst Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy week nine, my friend. Yeah, man. Happy week nine. Happy November. Happy all this good stuff. Great day to be great. And as always, on this Wednesday edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, we are previewing each and every matchup ahead of Thursday, Sunday, and Monday. And with that, we'll get right after Thursday Night Football. I like my Thursday Night Football bad, and we got another one of those this week. Jets at the Colts. Indy sitting as a 10.5-point favorite. Game total at 46.5. As always, I take away teams. Dwayne takes home teams. So starting off with the Jets, people, we have it. We finally have a high-end fantasy asset in the in New York. His name is Michael Carter. You might have heard us talk about him basically three weeks ago, coming off the bye, expecting the post by rookie bump and Michael Carter has gotten that in spades. PPR RB7 and the overall RB1 since that week six Jets by. I mean, it's truly been ridiculous what he's been able to do over the past two weeks with so much of it coming because he's getting peppered targets from Mr. I should say Captain Checkdown Mike White. And look, Mike White, Awesome moment, threw for over 400 yards, like the two picks he threw last week were tipped. He did everything he needed to do to get the win, and he got it. With that said, 13.8% check down rate, people. The only other two quarterbacks above 10%, Trevor Lawrence at 11.5 and Jared Goff at 10.6. So, hey, it's how the offense is working right now, and until Zach Wilson is back, and maybe even once Zach Wilson is back, it's going to be hard to keep Michael Carter out of the top 15 running backs in fantasy football because only our guy A.J. Brown and Tyree Kill have more receptions than Michael Carter with 17 over the past two weeks. Just pure madness. So, Michael Carter, we are absolutely loving it. And he's not just this volume-induced guy that we would not care about otherwise. He's actually been playing pretty well, people. Tweeted out some highlights today. And overall in the season, only Michael Carter, Najee Harris, Derrick Henry, Javante Williams, and Nick Chubb have racked up at least 30 forced missed tackles so great job from carter and basically that's the main point we're getting from this backfield ty johnson Dwayne, and i talked about him a little bit on the waiver pod he gets the checkdowns on when carter is not getting them but do we really want to roster the number two running back on still the league's 30th ring scoring offense that's what i thought jameson crowder for however long Corey davis remains out He's an okay wide receiver three. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Again, check out the waiver wire edition of this podcast, which was released Tuesday for more info on Crowder and Ty Johnson. Dwayne, throwing it over to you. And just real quick, man, like when I, we talked so much about Jonathan Taylor throughout this offseason, And one of the things that I think we both kind of continued to come back to was this idea that, okay, if Jonathan Taylor is going to just be a baller this year, he's going to have to overcome, you know, good, not great usage and volume. Dwayne, he's overcome that in space. Jonathan Taylor is so freaking good at football. Yeah, he's great. And I mean, his coach is still trying to derail him. I mean, last <laughs> week we had, you know, a push pass inside the five to the backup, backup tight end, not even Jack Doyle or, you know, Moali Cox. You got to get Colin Grants on the ball. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but there's some positives going on with Taylor. I mean, if you look at him over the last three weeks, 65% of snaps, 69% of snaps, 74% of the snaps. If you looked at him earlier in the season, you know, he was down in the forties, the high forties, then he was in the fifties. <clears throat> and the nice thing with week eight is this was actually in a game script where they didn't just blow out this school bus loves to back up right when we start this <laughs> podcast we should make it the official sounder 
of the show starting is this school bus backing up. Anyway, uh, good luck, school bus driver. Uh, take care of those kids. So <laughs> as far as, you know, Frank Reich, he doesn't always take care of his kids like Jonathan Taylor, but it has been getting better, like I said, over the last few weeks. And if you, if you look at last week, what I like, Ian, is there have been a few weeks before that that we had talked about where really, you know, you had had the Colts just you know, leading. They were never trailing at all when you look at week four, five, and six when Taylor really started to get going. And then if you look at the last two weeks, they've actually trailed by four or more points, 46% of the snaps and 23% of the snaps. And so for his snaps to still remain high despite those trailing scripts and not to see that much more really go to Naheem Hines, who handles the long down and distance in the two-minute offense. I think that's really good for Taylor. In fact, his routes have held steady 61, 60, and 60% over the last three weeks. So that's really encouraging, in my opinion. He's got he's getting all the short down and distance. That's his, um, you know, whenever they, you know, need to get one to two yards in his third or fourth down. But if, it, if it's three or four yards, there may be a push pass to the tight end on like a jet sweep. But I can't always account for everything that the madness that, you know, Frank Reich is going to bring to the table. So I do like Taylor. Um, you had even, you, I know you'd written down a few notes, you know, about him as well, you know, plus 25.2 points. You know, he's in the top three as far as expected, you know, over expected points. So he's playing really well. The other two backs are Austin Eckler and Corderell Patterson. So, I mean, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, he's just going to continue doing his thing. I mean, it's a great, I mean, it's a great matchup this week. You know, you get Jonathan Taylor in a game where he's favored by 10 and a half points. You're getting him in a top five running back strength of schedule matchup, and you're getting him in a top eight or top nine offensive line run blocking advantage, um, which that's only going to keep improving because the Colts offensive line is getting healthier. So, man, Jonathan Taylor, I have him number two right now in my initial ranks in, which I just did before we got on this show. I've got Austin Eckler number one this week, and I have Jonathan Taylor number two. There's really only one other. We'll, we'll talk about two other Colts real quick. Um, we mentioned it on the, the podcast on Sunday night, talking about Michael Pittman. He really is, you know, a low-end wide receiver, too, going forward. And your comments kind of stuck with me. You know how I like to go back and look at historical utilization. And if you look at first, second, or third-year wide receivers that have been up over the 95% route per dropback rate and also at a 21% target uh, per route rate, which is where he's at. And actually, just to make it a little wider, I made it 20 to 22. Like, he comps out really well. He comps out exactly, Ian, as a low-end wide receiver, too. So, like, without even you, – you, when you know, you know, man. When you know, you know. And, like, you, you totally nailed it. Of course, there's some guys that ranked higher than that, some guys that ranked lower than that. So, yeah, um, Pittman's looking really great. He's got three games this year of over 30% target share. He's got four over over 25%. Right now, T.Y. Hilton just can't seem to get healthy. He's been dealing with, you know, um, soft tissue injuries. Then he had a concussion. And Zach Pascal's a nice player. They have some nice tight ends. But really, even though Pittman's not an alpha kind of receiver, you know, he's not going to stretch the field and do all these other things. He's really more of an intermediate and underneath type receiver. Even if you look at the way his target is, targets have been distributed, I think less than 20% have come over 20 yards which isn't isn't terrible, but he really is working more of the intermediate areas of the field. But, I mean, it's just going to be hard for him not to see 25 30% of the targets. The only thing you got to worry about here is we have seen the Colts completely take the foot off the gas in the passing game whenever they've been able to get up on other teams. You heard me mention a few minutes ago how nice it was with Jonathan Taylor to see him see this utilization continue on, you know, despite the fact that they weren't just leading all the time. And part of why that's you know, was important is because what we've seen in those other games is the Colts have truly leaned in like they'll go 50-50 rushing versus passing, which is like unheard of in today's NFL. Like you only get a few teams that do it, like the Ravens uh, do it. Every once in a while you see the 49ers do it. But overall, like 
80, 95% of the time, like you don't see that type of, uh, you know, split from any team, you know, unless they're just in a blowout scenario. So we could see that and that could hurt Pittman a little bit. That also is what keeps, you know, Wentz, despite the great matchup, it's a little different than what we see with like, you know, the Rams where they'll just keep their foot on the gas, throwing the ball inside the five, and they're a lot more efficient with their throws. So with Wentz, even though he has a really good matchup this week, he doesn't make my top 12. Yeah, with Pittman, the big thing has just been volume in this offense. And we saw that rear its ugly head three weeks ago when he finished as the wide receiver 66. Once Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton got back in the lineup, they're now both out of the lineup again, Dwayne. He's had back-to-back top eight performances accordingly. So Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, absolutely loving them. Start them in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Obviously, we didn't need to clarify that with Taylor. So moving on. Falcons at the Saints. New Orleans sitting at six-point favorites. Game total at a low 42. That's got to be the lowest game total between these two teams like in the past decade, if I had to guess. But you know what? It might end up being too low because Kingstay Kings and Cordero Patterson is a king. Top 20 PPR RB in every single week since week one. Gotta love it. And you know why, people? Because receiving productions for running backs is a cheat code. We've been telling you this since day one. This year, only DeAndre Swift has more pure fantasy points from receiving production than Cordero Patterson. 100 versus 95. Like, truly, Cordero is one good week away from being the single most receiving friendly running back in all of fantasy football. So, absolutely love that. You are starting Cordero Patterson with confidence. Confidence. And yeah, the only other guy in this offense we can really feel good about. Remember, Calvin Ridley taking some time off for personal reasons. And last week, like, Dwayne, it's funny because I, I do think we get to 90, 95% of like the most important notes on our Sunday breakdown. But then throughout the course of the week, when we're writing our articles. I'll stumble across a stat or two that maybe we missed. And yeah, one of those, Russell Gage, zero targets last week, man. Like, how does that happen? That's some, like a Monroe St. Well, Brown that, that's shit. Well, that's why we didn't mention it. I mean, if you get a zero, we say zero. <laughs> <laughs> I like that motto. We're not going to bring it up. Sorry, you should have done something. We're not going to talk about you doing We're all about positivity here, Ian. You know us. That's all we're trying to do. But yeah, we cannot touch these wide receivers right now. Tasha Sharp, Alamide Zacchaeus, you know, just too much going on, even in this post-Ridley situation. But the one wide receiver we can trust in Atlanta is Kyle Pitts. And and Dwayne, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I I knew I was too. I'm giddy. I'm giddy because this is going to be so much fun this week, people. Look, I, I would like to think that you know, I don't. I, I shouldn't even say I'd like to think. I'm well aware that Dwayne and I are not the only fantasy football podcast people you get your advice from. So I want to ask all of you to do a little task for me. When you're listening to these other podcasts, when you're reading these other articles, see how people talk about Kyle Pitts because this will tell you who's woke and who's broke. Because this week we got a Saints defense, sixth best defense in PPR points allowed versus tight ends, but they're the fourth worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers. Now Kyle Pitts, 74 percent snaps as a wide receiver 83 percent routes as a wide receiver we are buying into the good matchup and i look he will see probably a little bit of marshawn Lattimore, not a full shadow by any stretch of the imagination but i'm not saying this is just like a cake matchup but please if you find a fantasy analyst that tries to say this is a bad matchup for kyle pitts because of this bogus tight end stat like let me know because i will just laugh and i will call them out because this is like now my um this is like my sector Dwayne. i don't like calling out other people but if you find 
Mike Tosicki, Kyle Pitts. If anyone wants to call them a tight end, you got problems with me. So that's your homework for this week. Let me know if anyone out there is trying to say it's a bad matchup for Kyle Pitts. Dwayne, I just think he's matchup proof. I don't care if Ridley is in or out. I would probably prefer that he's in. It really hasn't impacted. 97% route participation last week. I mean, his targets per route run is up over 25% three weeks in a row. He's just a top three tight end no matter what. Like, it exactly. doesn't matter. He could be facing God, and he's still a top three tight end. <laughs> like, that's just, I mean, look, the utilization's huge. The talent's big, and you're right. It, I mean, he gets to line up all over the field, so you can't, with Pitts, just look at tight end matchups. Even though a lot of those snaps still come in at the slot, and he sees some of the same defenders, right, on him, um, they move him around, and they can do what they need to do. The big thing they got to do is Matt Ryan needs to stop just, just throwing these contested balls to him. Like, there's points where he's open, and you're, I, I know you you watch the film just as much you know if not more than me and there's a lot of these plays where i'm like dang like Pitts is wide open could have had like a great run and catch on that play and it's the next play he comes back to him and he just and he throws everything high to him i'm like dude he's like wide open why are you throwing it high and like giving the defenders like time to contest the catch anyway that's a whole separate topic Last thing is just, again, about this volume with Ridley, without Ridley, because, you know, we had that Jets game without Ridley. Everyone said, oh, my God, if Kyle Pitts doesn't go off here, like, he's never going to go off, which was always ridiculous. But anyway, he had 10 targets in that game without Ridley. The week before, he had nine. Next week, Ridley comes back. He has eight. Next week, Ridley's gone. He's back down to six. So Kyle Pitts, all those great utilization metrics that Dwayne just mentioned, those apply with or without Calvin Ridley in the lineup. So we saw what happened last year with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, both eight. I would think if Ridley can, you know, get back on the field here, Pitts and Ridley will be resuming eating. So Kyle Pitts. King Cordero Patterson both set up well enough again against the Saints defense that is a bottom five unit against wide receivers which both happen to play a lot more than many give them credit for Dwayne seems like hold on go ahead seems like Taysom Hill will be back let's go under the assumption that he is I know we have some rumors about Philip Rivers uh interested to take a call obviously Trevor Simeon did his thing last week but it seems like the most likely scenario is Taysom Hill is under center this week yeah, and that's what we'll go with. And so Taysom draws the number six matchup, strength of schedule for quarterbacks this week. He also draws the number seven for running back, because let's face it, he's also a running back, Ian. So he's got top eight matchups on both sides, you know, both of the ways that he's going to be attacking the defense. So I think this, for me, it puts Taysom Hill inside my top 12 for now. Obviously, we'll be watching, you know, the news. Right now, I've got him, I've got him sitting with – I've got him just above Derek Carr – and Burrow, and I've got him just behind Herbert. So I've got him inside my top 10. Then I've got my tier, my two tiers above that. I've got him in my third tier. So um, I'm excited about Taysom Hill. I, I'm not excited necessarily, Ian, about what this is, what this could potentially mean for Alvin Kamara. Only a 14% target share last year in the four games where Taysom Hill did fill in for Drew Brees. Um, so that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Now, one of those, it was really three bad games and one huge one. So like it could have been way worse. It could have been like a 6% target share. I know a lot of you folks that had Alvin Kamara on your team. I know you remember this last year because you went from having like the superstar almost of the game to having a player that you're like, where the hell's Alvin Kamara until he went off for those like 27 touchdowns, like in week 15 or 16 <laughs> and came, came in huge for everybody. So Alvin Kamara, though, he does have a good matchup. It's got a running back strength of schedule on a scale of 1 to 10. It's a 7.2, so that's going to be in the top 8 for the week. You already heard me mention that for Taysom um, Hill. And then offensive run run 
Offensive line run blocking advantage is a plus 41 this week, which is also going to be inside the top eight. So Kamara in a great matchup. Taysom Hill also in a great spot. We don't want to use any of these receivers right now. Uh, they're not, Number one, it's all one big rotation. We could eventually get um, Michael Thomas back. So that's something to keep an eye on. Last year with Taysom Hill, Michael, Tom, Michael Thomas in those four games did have a 32% target share, despite the fact that the Saints were you know, still running the ball a lot. But you guys are used to that now. The Saints run the ball more than anybody in the NFL right now. They run it in every single situation. That's probably just going to continue. In fact, Ian, I think we could see this team actually run the ball more than pass it in many games moving forward if it's close. Yeah, for those of you that listened uh, to me throughout the summer, you know how I feel about some of the slander thrown Michael Thomas's way. And yeah, when he's not on the field because he can't stay healthy, that is problematic. But the fact that he has had to play with Drew Brees' noodle arm just in the last year or two, I'm not saying the whole time, Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill, and he really didn't skip a beat in terms of what he was producing week to week. Truly, Michael Thomas, when healthy, is not the best wide receiver alive, which I think is where a lot of these problems start, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to name 10 better. Next matchup, we got the Broncos at the Cowboys. Dallas opened as eight and a half point favorites. That is now up to 10. Game total holding steady at 49 and a half. So Javante Williams is our official, you know, this year free Javante candidate. And it's not even a slight against Melvin Gordon. This is Green Bay Packers free Aaron Jones over Jamal Williams because Jones was that freaking good relative to everyone. That's the position Javante is in right now. Number one by far in missed tackles, force per carry per rush. Number six in yards after contact per carry. So I went ahead and I took those two variables. I used Excel. Didn't even need to use R to compare two basic variables against each other. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me, all you nerds out there. Anyway, I put these two metrics, which I think do show running backs in the most one-on-one -on -one situations we're going to get. Forcing missed tackles, getting yards after contact, and basically you want to be high and to the right in this chart, which 47 running backs, you can see where they all land. And in the group that Javante is with people, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, James Robinson, Tony Pollard. Pretty good company. Should you be firing him up in fantasy because of this? Absolutely not. What do we chase? Volume. He does not have enough of it. So Gordon, Javante, it sucks that neither of them are seemingly even looking close to a takeover. They're going to be RB3s looking like the rest of the season. And really, that's that's kind of it, Dwayne. I said it last week. If you don't have to start a Bronco in your lineup, you should be feeling pretty good about yourself because Teddy, I just don't think that he's capable of enabling more than maybe even one high-end fancy receiver if he's going to keep spreading it out this much. We know Cortland Sutton. We know Jerry Judy can do it. But you look at it last week, nobody had more than five targets in this game. They got the win. So Teddy's doing you know, what he needs to do. But when we got Sutton, Judy, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon, Javante, and our our guy Albert O just all keeping pretty well involved in the passing game that's problematic like we talk about some of these more run first offenses like the Vikings like this okay you know we've, we've talked about the Vikings like I catch myself there but we have these offenses like the Vikings like the Seahawks where they concentrate so much of the target share around their top two receivers Teddy could do that with Sutton and Judy I think it makes sense for him to do that through one week, it's not looking that way. So winnable matchup on the outside against the Cowboys who do give up a lot of passing yards. They kind of make up uh, for that with their high turnover rate. I believe they're only second uh, to the Bills this year in percentage of uh, passes intercepted. It's just not a spot until we see some clarity in this pecking order in the passing game that I want to get into. Teddy, like he's he has this reputation, Dwayne, as like this game manager, but he really does make a lot of mistakes for someone that isn't giving you much upside. Here's the group of quarterbacks this 
year that have more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws. Daniel Jones, Tua, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Ben Roethlisberger, Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Teddy Bridgewater. Not great company. I'm pretty certain Drew Locke might be in that same group if he had been under center this year, but at least you're getting some upside there. So I've seen enough of Teddy this year. I know he's such an easy guy to root for, and he is obviously a great person. I want every single person that we talk about to be a great person in real life, but with Teddy, just looking at what he brings to the table in this offense from a football sense, I just think we've seen pretty much the ceiling of what he's capable of getting. Now, Dwayne, yeah, man. Cowboys. Yeah. <clears throat> it, did you see Noah Fant today? He was actually liking, you know, tweets about, you know, free Noah Fant, trade Noah Fant. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do it. Free yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, well, he, he, look, he knows what he's capable of. And then, like, he gets put right back in this committee, you know, as soon as, as soon as, you know, Albert O comes back. So it's just one of these things where it's like, okay. And, and it's nothing against Okabunum. Like, he's a good player, too. But, like, why does that mean Noah Fant ever has to come off the field? Like, no offense, should be out there all the time. So, anyway, bygones, moving along. As far as the Cowboys, yeah, as far as the Cowboys go this week, obviously we'll have to keep an eye on Dak. You know, he got the shot in the calf last week. So, apparently he's going to be ready. Um, that's where we're at. But here's the deal. The Cowboys would never let you know if he wasn't. Like, they don't want to reveal anything. But right now, I am assuming that Dak is going to play. Um, the big thing here really is the running game. Um, you get the Cowboys, they're nine and a half point favorites, you know, 29.5 implied points. So that's going to be third best on the slate. So you get third best implied points, the third best spread, which are really good things for backs. And then you've got a running back strength of schedule that is the number 12. And you've got the offensive line run blocking advantage as number six. So it's going to be wills up for Zeke. Also could be a good Tony Pollard week. The thing I've noticed about Pollard, Ian, is if you go back to the games where the Cowboys, you know, have trailed by four or more points, like over 50% of the plays, which is pretty rare because they've, they've played really well. In those games, Elliott pretty much, you know, that's when he, the snaps shoot way up. And it doesn't necessarily help Elliott perform a lot better, but it just, it keeps Pollard off the field. So in, in, in those games, you know, Pollard's down in the 25, 27%, you know, snap range, which is really hurting him. And the games where the Cowboys are able to keep things close or able to ha are able to have a lead, which is, you know, they're favored by nine and a half this week. Those are really the games where Pollard has had a better opportunity to come through because really his role more is about taking in that kind of game strip, taking on up as much as 40%, you know, of the rushing attempts. And that gives him a chance to break off an explosive play. So I think this is one of those weeks where you really can't have Pollard in play, you know, as a flex op as a flex option if you're dealing with a bye week. Whenever you're in these games where you know it's going to be a big shootout, I know it doesn't make sense because people always think of Pollard as being this really good receiver. Those are really the games where you're going to want to avoid Pollard. So I think Zeke is definitely in the top i've got him in number eight right now in so i mean i've got it's 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 a great slate for running backs i have to say like wide receivers okay this week quarterback is decent running backs and tight ends like there are great matchups and there are great you know um, game environments scoring environments like across the board there, there's a lot of really good stuff for running backs and tight ends this last week, so. uh, uh just before you move on to wide receivers like people if you watch that Sunday night game, I think now, hopefully, with how Zeke and Pollard look, maybe we can chill. I think people have chilled a little bit since the first couple weeks of the year. But as great as Pollard is, Zeke is pretty damn good in his own right. And when we see Pollard blowing the pass protection, allowing Cooper Rush to get sacked and fumble in a pretty critical moment, and then Zeke making one of the better, I think, just individual efforts of the year, breaking all those tackles on the third and 11, you know, 
I don't need a personal apology, but you know, just make peace with you know whoever you whoever you talk to about these kind of things, and realize both Zeke and Pollard, it's okay for them to each be great at football. Back to you, Dwayne. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great point. Like they both are playing very well. Um, hey, his PFF grade's even doing really well. Like for Zeke, like Zeke's come back. You know, he's a determined player right now. So, yeah, as far as the receivers go, look, it's it's this is one of those situations where when you look at the Cowboys and they get into these games like this, Ian, where they could actually be leading, they are very willing. It's kind of, it's kind of like what we talked about, you know, with the Colts, um, they're willing, you know, to just say, okay, we're just going to run the football. Um, and they want to be efficient and which, which they are, they still hit big plays in the passing game and they do those things. But if you look at these games where they didn't trail by, so if you look at week two, three, four, and five, they trailed, by four or more points, 0% of the time in those games. Here are their pass-to-run splits in those four games, 52-48, 46-54, 48% pass, 52% run, 50-50. So that's why it also helps. So this kind of all comes together, right? That's why it helps Pollard, like I was talking about a minute ago when the Cowboys get in these sort of matchups. But it kind of hurts the passing game. It doesn't necessarily hurt Dak a ton. Like, it, it does lower Dak's ceiling because he doesn't have to stay in a shootout. But he's still going to be efficient. He's still going to throw his touchdowns. He may not have to throw for quite as many yards. But who it does hurt, it hurts the volume for targets to the receivers. And so if we end up in a game where you get Michael Gallup back, you've got Dalton Schultz playing really well. You saw Amari and C.D. Lamb all play well last week. You saw... Cedric Wilson playing good enough to still earn some snaps. And then if you get in a game like this where the Cowboys don't have to push it, it makes me like the receivers a little bit less despite the great matchups this weekend. Um, so I don't think I will have, I won't have Lamb or Amari in my top 12. They'll probably be down towards like wide receiver 20, 24, somewhere in that range, just because of the game script. And people, just some news that has happened since we started the podcast. No offense. Wanted to be freed. Unfortunately, he is on the COVID list uh, on the IR. So we will see wow. what happens there. I'm not sure if he's back, you know, just if he's vaccinated. Free he Albert O. Free Albert O. Free Albert O. <laughs> if Fant's vaccinated, he has a chance to return two negative tests. I believe it's like 20. He has a chance to play Sunday if he's vaccinated. If he's not, it's mandatory 10 days uh, out of the picture. So, In all seriousness, we, if this does happen and he's out, Albert O is good enough and he'll be, he'll be right there in the Pat Farmworth conversation. Like he would, he would belong okay. in the same, he would be right there with him. I was just about to say like, isn't this just the same thing we saw at Friermuth? Yeah, yes, it yeah. is. Talented receiving tight end, losing the guy, taking his snaps away. Yeah, he'll be in that top 12. If, if he's not in the top 12, he'll literally be like tight end 13. So good points there. <laughs> Patriots at the Panthers. New England open us two and a half point favor. Says now up to four. Game total is at 41 down from 43. So with the Patriots right now, we can really feel good about Damian Harris, and that is pretty much it. And I would say that this is a spot to feel good about Damian Harris. I was writing my running back article today, and I know people, we are chasing fantasy points, but even then, that isn't always the one stat we want to look at with these defenses, particularly with a more one-dimensional player like Damian Harris. So at first glance, yes, the Panthers have the second best D in the league in fantasy points per game allowed the running backs, but you dig a little closer, a big reason for that is they have allowed a league low 145 receiving yards to opposing running backs we all know Damon Harris doesn't catch passes so looking at the Panthers actual front seven in terms of how they hold up against the run 14th in yards before contact per attempt 20th in yards per carry allowed 29th in yards after contact per carry 
might be problematic against a freaking human bull like Damian Harris, who, again, mentioned this Sunday night. He had the two games against the Saints and the Buccaneers where the Patriots said, you know what, we're not going to go do what these front sevens want us to do, and that is run into the teeth of the defense. Other than those games, Damian Harris has had 23, 16, 14, 18, 14, and most recently, 23 rush attempts. So not saying you need to start him. I've seen some of your lineups out there. You'll name, you know, three top 10 running backs, and okay, chill out on Damian Damon Harris, but for those of you not playing in four-man leagues, I do think Damon Harris should be in the majority of starting lineups in this spot. Reminds me a little bit like the Chargers game last week where he was also a recommended start. As we explained, it was a game that didn't wasn't setting up as like a double-digit home favorite or anything, but again, you dig beneath the numbers a little bit, and I do think it is an exploitable matchup here for Damian. Otherwise, it's rough, people. Jacoby Myers, hey, 30th uh, in expected PPR points per game. You know, logic and regression and just belief in a higher spirit would probably tell us that he's going to score a touchdown at some point in his life. Can't guarantee when it's going to be. He did catch a two-point conversion last week. Maybe that was like getting warmed up to it as my voice cracks uh, at the same time. But, you know... He's the only guy we can trust in this passing game at the end of the day because nobody else is even in the top 50 and expected points. Hunter Henry, John Smith continue to be just in that tight end two conversation. Hunter Henry, if you're in a pinch, is fine. But honestly, I'd rather start Fryermuth. I'd rather start Albert O if those other guys are going to be out of the equation. It's just that hard for tight ends to really produce high-end fantasy value when they're splitting the offense with someone else. Uh, final note, something that we've been tracking throughout the season here is that the Mac Jones deep ball still getting better. Again, he was PFF's 33rd highest graded quarterback on passes thrown at least 20 yards during the first five weeks of the year. Only 32 starting quarterbacks, so when you're not in the top 32, that's not great, but over the past three weeks against the Cowboys, Jets, and Chargers, sixth highest PFF passing grade when throwing at least 20 yards downfield, so maybe, just maybe Dwayne will get him some uh, higher-end receiving talent in one of these years, and we'll really see what Mac is capable of. Until then, start Damon Harris and nobody else from this offense. Now, Dwayne, the Panthers, Chuba, DJ Moore, and after that, sheesh, my friend. Yeah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some numbers, and these are not calorie counts on beer. These are the past. <laughs> these are the passing totals for Sam Darnold: 177, 207, 111, uh, 129. Now there was like 30 or 40 extra yards that came from Philip Walker. But Dwayne, Adam Gase isn't there anymore. I thought he was supposed to be a world beater now. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, th- that's that's terrible. So it really doesn't matter like what the utilization says. It doesn't matter the fact that DJ Moore, you know, is still you know garnering all of these targets. Now, what I will say about the Panthers' offense, and this was wild to me, somehow they're still running a ton of plays. I don't know how you run a ton of plays when that's all you're getting in passing offense. Like it seems like you would have to get a first down here or there, um, but. We'll see if they can break out of it. You know, Darnold does get a little bit of a better matchup this week. Um, From a quarterback strength of schedule standpoint, is the number six, um, despite it being New England. And look, like when you look at that, you're just like, you know, I don't care. I throw that out. Like Bill Belichick's going to destroy Sam Darnold. That that that's really what we're thinking in our head. Like, and Bill Belichick knows Sam Darnold. He's played him long enough. But on paper, it does look like a good matchup. Um, but it's just it's it's going to be problematic. We could get Christian McCaffrey back this weekend, so he's supposed to practice on Wednesday. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, knock on wood, they don't rush him back too early, too soon again. But he has been out for three weeks now. So let's you know let's hope that he's going to be fine. 
can come back because I mean they need it. They really do need something else. Um, Robbie Anderson haven't seen anything else on him. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on his injury report. Um, so yeah, if you own, if if you're rostering DJ Moore, obviously you're still going to start him. But I downgraded him this week. You know, in the utilization report, Ian. I don't know what your thoughts are on DJ Moore as far as the rest of the season right now. But with me looking at his quarterback play, and it's really hard for quarterbacks to play so terrible that they can just really pull a receiver down super far. Like, you know, they, they can they can hurt them, but it's usually not a situation where they can basically just, like, blow them off the map like what we've seen with Allen Robinson. Um, to be so fair, Moore, one thing, to be fair, I know as a whole cumulative, yeah, it's, this has not been good for DJ. DJ did drop a wide-open 15-yard touchdown last week, just to be fair. I want to be fair right. here, Dwayne. Yeah, no, be fair. That's good. Like the targets and things, look, they're there. I mean, his target's 35%, 27%, 33%. You know, I mean, he's out there all the time. So you still like DJ Moore, but I've moved him like at, at one point, you know, earlier this year, you know, he was in a mid-range wide receiver one territory. Like for me now, he's at the low end wide receiver one. And really it's like, man, like, is he really just a wide receiver two at this point? It's like, I'm trying to be patient with him. Like I know the talent's there, but just Darnold is just, he's just too much to deal with. And Darnold has, again, I'm, I'm just trying to be fair, people. You know me, I'm a fair guy. Uh, one of the things that did pop up last week was Sam Darnold actually still having a pretty high PFF passing grade. And that is because when you look at the incompletions, every single incompletion you have was either a drop, caused and attributed to a defensive pressure, or was a pure throwaway. All, are these things that you should be saying, oh, like, great, then we can go start Sam Darnold? Of course not. Like, his offensive line sucks. He's not getting a ton of help from the receivers. And now he's probably going to be down two of his top three receivers and Robbie Anderson and Terrence Marshall, who, if we want to, again, be fair, Dwayne, you could chalk up those injuries almost to Darnold throwing a couple hospital balls over the past few weeks. So not all on Darnold, but once again, he's certainly not been the solution to the equation as well. Real quick with uh, Chuba, where do you think he kind of finishes? Have you done your ranks this week yet, Dwayne? Yeah, but I don't know, like, is CMC going to play or not, right? If, if CMC's out. If CMC right. is out. Yeah, if CMC is out, I would have, um, let's see. Where do I have Chuba right now? Um, RB19? No. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Sorry. I don't have it. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Well, because yeah. I would say the one thing I came across since week four, when Chuba became the starter, he joins Derrick Henry and Najee Harris as the only backs with over 100 touches. Obviously, targets worth much more than rush attempts. But man, even though we've had Abdullah and Rodney Smith, dude, they're still feeding with Chuba. Yeah, no, he would be in the top 20. Um, so I don't, I don't know exactly where I'll have him right now. But yeah, he'd be somewhere in the top 20. Just something to keep in mind, people. We're just trying to be fair here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. <laughs> and I will quit saying that to the best of my power for the rest of the pod. <laughs> Vikings at the Ravens. We got Baltimore sitting as five and a half point favorites. Game total at 49 and a half. Dalvin Cook did not quite give us that breakout game we were hoping for on Sunday night, but people, I think we're about to see the stretch coming up. The usage has been there. He has at least 20 combined carries and targets in all four of his full, fully healthy games this season. He hasn't been great with them. Career low marks in PFF, rushing grade, yards per carry, missed, or yards after uh, contact per carry. So part of it has been Dalvin, not exactly being the usual world beater we used to see him. But again, the schedule coming up, borderline erotic we got the ravens chargers packers 49ers and lions 
PP, uh, ranks in PPR points per game allowed to running backs. 24th, 28th, 16th, 10th, and 30th. Sign me up for that. Continue to fire up Dalvin with confidence. Same thing with Justin Jefferson, honestly. Adam Thielen as well. With Jefferson, like, he was a whether you want to call it a better ball, whether you want to say Jefferson could have kept running, my God, Dwayne, like whenever I have some of these videos I send out go like somewhat viral, I don't know, like five, 600 likes, or whatever, like people are still barking about it like three days later. Oh, Jefferson slowed up there. He should have just kept running. How could that have happened? I get it. I understand that's part of it. Whatever you want to call it, he was wide open deep after a great double move. They just couldn't connect. So I am expecting against the Ravens defense that could decide to shadow him with Marlon Humphrey. But as we saw with Jamar Chase, not necessarily the end of the world. I think he should have more than enough opportunity to get going again because Dwayne, don't look now, but I think the way this Ravens defense is built, it's almost like just if you can be an offense that isn't freaked out by what the, by the blitzes they're bringing and by, I guess, the reputation they have as still this great secondary, they're awfully vulnerable because, again, this is one of the most blitz-happy defenses in the league. But as we saw with Joe Burrow, when the blitz doesn't get there, big things can happen. And it honestly hasn't been getting there much this year. 27th in pressure rate. And against someone like Kirk Cousins, that's problematic because Kirk Cousins this year, when kept clean, he's our top-graded quarterback in terms of PFF passing grade, 11th in yards per attempt. When he's not... He becomes our 19th highest graded quarterback and 39th in yards per attempt. He is the third most sensitive quarterback in the league in terms of the largest drop-off in yards per attempt when kept clean versus when under pressure. So not this is not the DFS podcast, but I would tell you this, people. Cousins, Thielen, Jefferson stacks this week could be a nice way to separate yourself in some tournaments because we know Dalvin Cook wants to get his, but just the way the Ravens are designed, if they're going to keep trying to do their thing, could be problematic against Kirk and company, giving him too clean of a pocket. Now, Dwayne, we don't know what's going on in the running back room. We never do in Baltimore, but at least we have Lamar Jackson. They have some receivers to go make some big plays for him. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk about the running backs. It's a complete mess. It's going to be a rotation no matter what it is. Hopefully, you're not going to have to deal with it. If you are, hopefully, it's just your RB2, and you're going to tell us your lineup is Jamar Chase, Cooper <laughs> Cup, you know, Mike Williams, like something like that. And we'll be like, ah, you'd be fine with one of those backs in there as your RB2. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to want to try to avoid that situation. Hopefully, you've got something different. Um, as far as Lamar Jackson goes, yeah, I mean, obviously, we all love Lamar. We're going to use Lamar anytime that we can. Um, the matchup's a little bit tougher this week against, you know, the Vikings, but they did lose Dan Danielle Hunter. He's out for the season. He is their top pass rusher. So that's really going to hurt the Minnesota Vikings defense, who's ac they've actually been overperforming, you know, this year based on, you know, what we saw last year when they really had a huge drop-off. Zimmer's always known for his defenses, and it had kind of, they had made a nice little bounce back this year. Um, Cooper Rush didn't care, and you actually saw in that second half without Hunter out there to really help apply that pressure, and they had to get more exotic with their blitzes and do some different things like that. That's whenever really Cooper Rush started to play, you know, better on Sunday night, you know, against the Vikings as well. So the big player that I just want to talk about here, um, Ian, is Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown draws the number eight wide receiver strength of schedule on the week. He draws the number 10 overall wide receiver cornerback matchup on the week. Um, you've got 27.5 points implied uh, total. So that's the number six on the slate 
um, for implied total. So it's a great it's a great week for Marquise Brown. I'm going to have him in my probably right around number 12 is what it's looking at right now. So he's going to be in my top 12 for the week. It will be interesting to keep an eye on. We we could get Sammy Watkins back this week. So I really want to see what, what happens with Rashad Bateman once we get Sammy Watkins back. Obviously, if you folks have Mark Andrews on your roster, you're going to want to fire him up. He's It's also been a little tougher matchup against the um, Vikings as well. Um, whenever considering like the PFF grades and the way that we create our strength of schedule metric, it is a tougher matchup. But Mark Andrews is still Mark Andrews, um, and I expect him to still have a nice game. Yeah, losing to Neil Hunter is absolutely massive. Because, again, this Vikings defense, for really the first time in the Mike Zimmer era that he's been there, last year was atrocious, like bottom five and pretty much any metric you want to bring up, particularly against the pass. And they were living this year. They were getting by only because of that pass rush, which was top five with Hunter in there. You take him out, man, and, yeah, these cornerbacks cannot guard anybody, even when they were healthy. We still got Patrick Peterson's corpse on IR, man. Like, they just are not in a good enough spot to hold up without a pass rush will be problematic moving forward Browns at the Bengals since he's sitting as two and a half point favorites game total at 47 uh you know the NFL trade deadline always sucks but to have nothing happen to Marlon Mack to have weeks of Deshaun Watson rumors we found out oh yeah that was complete bullshit cool thanks uh, for all those reports guys and then to have briefly the glimmer of hope that Odo Beckham could be freed only for him to stay in Cleveland and we get the mock Oh my gosh, Cleveland's actually optimistic that OBJ could contribute to this second half run. Just spare me that shit because right now the Browns tied for the second worst mark in the league. 35% catchable deep ball rate. Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield have thrown as many catchable deep balls as Ben Roethlisberger this year. Let that freaking sit in. And yeah, with Baker, man, Baker is so good throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. I cannot stress that enough. League high, 9.3 yards per attempt on passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. When he has to throw 20 yards downfield, 26 at 11.1. So look, this offense has scored 17 or fewer points in four of their last five games. Baker's playing hurt. Beckham's playing hurt. Landry's playing hurt. You know, I, I won't spend too much more time shitting on this passing game because that clearly has a lot to do with it. But at least in terms of fantasy land, Jarvis Landry is the only one we can even somewhat get behind. And that like getting behind Jarvis is assuming that Baker is just literally going to ignore OBJ for the rest of the season, which, hey, like it could happen. It happened last week. One target, despite being out there, getting open. And we got OBJ's dad sending out videotape of how open Beckham is <laughs> at this that. point. That's how ridiculous <laughs> things have gotten people. So, And I know if the, if, if the only Browns game you've watched this year was the Denver game on Thursday night, like that was easily Beckham's worst showing. I'm not saying that he's the same guy from 2016 and Baker's just completely ruined it but I'll tell you what Baker sure isn't helping the situation that's for sure I guess the other thing that annoyed me today Dwayne is looking at Nick Chubb's usage perhaps it was just first game back from the calf they didn't want to put too much on his plate but more and more with Nick Chubb with Antonio Gibson like if you have a guy that's banged up and you don't want to like expand his usage why is first of all why are you playing someone that is so hurt, apparently, that you don't want to give them a full workload? And two, if you are going to play them, why is running them into the teeth of the defense up the middle your solution? Like, would it kill you to get these guys out in space a little bit? Like, wanting these more tar wanting more targets for running backs and just, you know, enhance, like, more Tony Pollard-esque usage, it's not even so much about 
not wanting like your J.D. McKissicks and your Dearness Johnson of the world to get those touches. It's just like one of the most inefficient plays in football is just running the ball up the middle. So why are we continuously having guys like Nick Chubb do that? So I just can't believe that Nick Chubb, even in the absence of Kareem Hunt, can't get a pass down roll. I get it. I am behind it when you have Kareem Hunt there to do the receiving stuff. He is better than Nick Chubb. He's better than almost any running back in the league as a receiver. And Dwayne, I really appreciate Dearness Johnson's week seven spot start, but you're not paying Dearness Johnson $36 million over the next three years to be your feature back. You are paying Nick Chubb that amount. So when I see Nick Chubb averaging one one target per game this year, I can't get behind it because going back to last year, he has caught 28 of 33 targets for 266 yards and a touchdown. He is tied with Saquon Barkley for the most yards per reception among 67 qualified backs. 9.5 yards per catch every time you're throwing it to Nick Chubb. So, no, he's not Austin Eckler. He's not, you know, Kareem Hunt, but he doesn't need to be. Just throw it to one of your best players in the freaking Throw to one of your best players a time or two per game, more than a time per game. That's all I'm asking. It's the same thing with Derrick Henry before this year. I'm not even saying five targets, but when Nick Chubb has six targets on the entire season, I don't get it, man. Felton, Dearness Johnson, they're fine. They're not Nick freaking Chubb at some point. So with Chubb and this offense, we're finally seeing his usage kind of catch up to him a little bit, Dwayne. Like when Chubb, okay, I'm sure at some point he'll get the 50-yard monster touchdowns back again. But if you only want to give the guy 15 carries and a target, like no, it's going to be tough for him to produce more than really upside RB2 value as long as this offense is in the sort of pit that it happens to be existing in in the moment. So Right now, it's Nick Chubb, and that's it. And even then, we can't feel great. So thanks a lot, Baker. Thanks a lot, Browns. That's where we're sitting at right now. Luckily, Dwayne, got a lot more things to like in Cincy. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at the matchups, though, this week, they're a little tougher, right, for the Bengals. Um, and you look at the implied points, they're okay, not great. Um, but for as far as Burrow goes, you know, he's got the second toughest quarterback strength of schedule matchup. Offensive line pass blocking advantage is a minus 30 which is going to be one of the bottom that's bottom four on this slate. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a situation where obviously like Burrow's throwing the ball more now, like they, they kind of dip back down in plays last week, but they are throwing the ball more on first downs, neutral pass situations, all that kind of stuff. And so those are all positives, but it is a pretty tough matchup this week. If you look at Joe Mixon, he's continuing to give up the long down distance work to um, Samaje P. Ryan. He is getting the work inside the fives, getting the short down and distance stuff. Um, it's just not as involved in the passing game. So with Mixon, you really are looking for good matchups on the ground, and he just doesn't really get one this week. When you look at him, he has a bottom four running back strength of schedule. And if you look at his offensive line, run blocking advantage, you know, on the week, it also isn't that great either. So it's it's a tough spot. You know, I'm less concerned about Burrow, but Mixon this week, I do have him a little bit lower. Right now, I've got him at running back 14. Um, I, he may go down a little more from there. Just to kind of give you an idea, I do have like Damian Harris above him. I've got Corderell Patterson above him. I've got Michael Carter, Elijah Mitchell, all above Joe Mixon right now. And then I've got the, the guys that I'm still ranking that I haven't fully gotten to, but I've at least put them into tiers and they're below Mixon. So you got like... You got Daryl Williams, Josh Jacobs, Chase Edmonds, Zach Moss, guys like Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert's got a terrible matchup, even though he gets all the work because he plays Pittsburgh. So he's kind of sitting, he's kind of sitting in between. Like the backs that, you know, maybe we don't quite as like as much as Mixon, but they have really good matchups. And then some of the backs we like less than Mixon that also have some tougher matchups. So Mixon kind of sits in between those. Obviously, if you have uh Jamar Chase, you're gonna fire Jamar Chase up. It doesn't really matter what the matchup says. It, it, 
just doesn't matter. You're going to play him. So I'm not even going to talk about Jamar Chase. Um, it really comes down to, you know, T. Higgins, comes down to Tyler Boyd. And so we did see Tyler Boyd finally get involved this last game. Um, they're both typically out there now, in around 80 85%, you know, of the routes. Uh, but we saw Tyler Boyd get 23% of the targets this last week versus only 19% for T. Higgins. I do think T. Higgins remains an, an amazing buy-low candidate. Still over the last three weeks, targets of 22%, 43%, 19%. So we just need this game to kind of get up and get moving and get and you know I, I worry about this game turning into a bit of a slog fest just because we have seen the Browns take time of possession away from other teams because they run the ball they keep the clock running all the time they're actually very efficient at running the ball and then if you look at the Bengals they have been a team that you know has been a bit up and down their their volume did start to creep up but then if you look at it last week they only ran 55 plays on the entire game and that was actually the data i'm looking at in front of me right now is actually including penalties so it was actually worse than that so there's still some of that you know you know could could kind of give you a dud from a volume standpoint in them you know if you look at weeks two three and four 55 47 58 plays those are really bad marks so i, I worry i think i feel like this game and i haven't looked at what you know our betting tools or anything say yet this week but when i look at this game like part of me does kind of think man like is this going to hit the under like these are two things these are two teams that they've got a propensity to run less plays you got an opportunity for the browns to really milk it like the Bengals are going to have to you know be on their game yeah, 47 does seem a, a bit high for these two offenses. The one funny note with Mixon, who he's, he's been good this year, having to play through some of the injuries and having P. Ryan, I think, start to steal some of the pass down work hasn't helped. But remember, Dwayne, like the entire offseason, it was always like, well, take away the monster game he had against the Jaguars and what <laughs> yeah. do you have? And this year it's like, oh, well, if you like, I want to see those people bring that same energy. Like, oh, take away Mixon's three separate top four performances this year. And what do you have there, Dwayne? What do we have at that point? <laughs> <laughs> Bills at the Jaguars. Buffalo sitting as 14 and a half point favorites. Game total about 48 and a half. So look, it's your Bills. You guys pretty much know what you're getting. But I will say this is the dream bounce back spot for Emmanuel Sanders. He goose egged you last week. Just put that out of sight, out of mind. He was the only player in week eight with over 100 unrealized air yards. Now he gets a Jaguars pass defense that is 31st in yards per attempt allowed. 30th in explosive pass play rate. 31st in QB rating, dead last in contested target rate. So when you look at like, you know, the smart defenses in the league in terms of like rush attempts faced with eight plus men in the box, you got the Chargers, the Rams down there, the Broncos just really letting teams run the run the ball and they're not going to stack, stack the box trying to stop that. They're going to devote more resources to the secondary. Now on the other side of things, you get the teams that say, we got to stop the run first and foremost, led by the Jaguars and Seahawks. So don't be surprised if Josh Allen even if he's off the field by the end of the third quarter, should be, you know, racking up 35, 40 pass attempts, however long he is out there. So Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, fire up each with all sorts of confidence. Don't go chasing the Gabriel Davis stuff. However, we did not see him become this full-time receiver. He scored a touchdown last week, but still playing under 50% of the offensive snaps. They gave Tommy Sweeney much more of that actually true Dawson Knox role than expected. So we did see the targets go up for Gabriel Davis. And I think that's fair. I would imagine that uh, Josh Allen will be looking his direction a little bit more often instead of uh, Tommy Sweeney there. But at the same time, I just think there's better options out there for you to 
find than a number four receiver that again just can't even hit that 50 percent uh, mark otherwise we got zach moss who this year rb 24 and ppr points per game just the rb 16 expected points because josh allen wants to score all the touchdowns for himself on the ground but hey the bills are implied for a week high 31.5 points seems like there might finally be enough room for everyone here to eat so yeah Gotta love the Bills. And, you know, Dwayne, I guess this is your week to rack up some of the bad offenses. So go off on the Jaguars, man. Have fun. I'm going to keep it pretty quick on the Jaguars. Um, you know, the biggest thing with the Jaguars is, look, they're just too predictable because they trail all the time, Ian. They, so if you looked at them last week, they trailed by four or more points. 88% of the snaps. That's the third time this season they've been over 85% of the snaps trailing by four or more points. So if you look at um, you know them for the season, they rank the fourth most. They trail by four or more points on 64% of their plays. That's not good, especially when you're dealing with a rookie quarterback. You know Trevor Lawrence has started to show some ability. You know in the design rushing attempts, Ian back a few weeks ago, and that's kind of all gone away. Coming out of the bye, we only we only saw 6% of those this past week, 4% um, scramble rate. So he's just not doing a lot with his legs, and, you know, he struggled this past week, and now he's going to have a tough matchup, you know, against the Bills secondary. There's not really a good matchup for him in the passing game. Um, LaVisca Chenault, you know, is kind of <laughs> – he doesn't look good in the X, you know, and here's the thing, like he's playing the X and he shouldn't have to come off the field in 11 personnel and unless, uh, you know, they're out of, uh, you know, even when they're in 12 personnel, when they're not using 11, but his, but his routes are still below 60% or still below 70%. He was only out there for 60% of the routes this past week where we had seen him bump up to 80% before the bye week. So it's just discouraging for Visca. Um, you know, I, I know you've got a, a good tweet out there. I think basically like you named everyone in the city of Jacksonville and if they were all injured or all sick and had to stay home from work tomorrow, maybe the Visca Chenault could run out in the street and he could catch a pass like from some That's all we need, person. Dwayne. Five more <laughs> Injuries away. Yeah, yeah, we're so close. You, you gotta, you gotta admire the list, the the Lavisca Chenault truthers. Like, you know, you gotta admire like their spunk. They're, they're, um, you know, they're very resilient. Like, they're believers. They truly do believe. It's you because know, he, people, all right, Lavisca, and I'm, I'm not full fledged truther with them, but I do love watching the guy play. Like, he has a, he'll have a more entertaining sixty yards than anyone else because of the way he breaks tackles and stuff. But yeah, when they're giving Jamal Agnew those opportunities, like we just need to get over it. It's not gonna happen this year, and it probably won't happen in Urban Meyer's offense when they're playing him at X and not in the Percy Harvin role that we all dreamed of him having to begin with. So, Yeah, and I mean, you're looking at the second lowest implied total of the weekend, 17 points. So you guys Sheesh. can divide those up how you want <laughs> between like whichever Jaguars you want. You can let me know. Um, you just ride into the show and let us let, let us know what you guys did. But yeah, it's just a situation I really want to avoid overall. You could get Carlos Hyde as the every down back sounds like um, sounds like we will be without James Robinson this weekend. He injured his ankle. He left. He only played like 11 percent of the snaps last weekend, so they'll probably be without him as well. So, or if you look at that, if you really want to go Carlos Hyde, if that makes you excited, you can do that. The, the issue is, you know, they're 14 and a half point dogs. There's not going to be a lot of points scored, but he is going to be on the field. I just don't know how much the Jaguars are going to be able to run the ball because they could be down by 14 by the end of the first quarter. Yeah, and we talked more about Hyde on the waiver wire edition of this podcast. Long story short, again, if you need the guy for one week, okay, just don't feel great about him and realize this is one week. Dan Arnold, thoughts at all, Dwayne? He is coming off a 10-target game, caught eight of them for 68 yards, more or less a full-time player. And even though he lines up as a tight end, he does have the skill set of a wide receiver. 
Yeah. So his utilization is right there in that in that low end tight end one, high end tight end two conversation. His routes are right around 70%. His targets per route run are right at 20%. So that's solid. I mean, that's in the same range as like a Dalton Schultz, guys like that. So that's really, I mean, he's obviously not as in good of an offense, but yes, I do like him. And that's where he'll fall out this, this week. I haven't got, I haven't, you know, I've got him in tiers. And so right now I've got Dan Arnold in my third tier of tight ends. So actually, no, I've got him. See, tight end's crazy this week. Like my tier one right now has six players in it, like because there's so many good matchups. And then I've got uh, eight people in tier two. He's actually in tier two. Right now, I've got him as tight end 12 on the week. So he's going to be somewhere right around there. Sounds right. Texans at the Dolphins. Miami sitting at six and a half point favorites. Game total at 45 and a half. We lose Mark Ingram from the equation. It seemed like the question was, okay, how much can David Johnson take over? How much is Philip Lindsay going to have the early down work? The answer was Rex Burkhead and Scotty Phillips are now the top two <laughs> running backs in Houston. So, so it was a it, it was a fun couple days where we got to talk about maybe having a fancy relevant back uh, in Houston. Nobody can take you know those forty eight hours away from us. But yeah, people, please for the love of God, unless you just hate yourself, do not touch this Houston Texans backfield with a ten foot pole and. Honestly, the whole offense other than Brandon Cooks. As long as Davis Mills is going to stay under center, maybe forever, man. I think Houston saw that Tyrod can actually maybe give them a chance to win. And they're like, you know what, Tyrod? We'll pay you. You go uh, hang out on the sideline with uh, Deshaun Watson, who's not going to be traded to Miami, even though we tried to tell everyone that he would. So, yeah, Davis Mills points in the first three quarters. So I'm taking away garbage time. Sorry, Jalen Hurts. Uh, But taking away garbage time here. First three quarters and six starts. The Texans have scored six points, zero, 22 against the Patriots. And after that, three, five, and zero. Again, six, zero, 22, three, five, and zero. Professional football team has not cracked more than six points in five of their last six games during the first 45 minutes of action. Sheesh. Brandon Cooks, though can still keep doing Brandon Cook's things. He is still a member of the Houston Texans. Doesn't want to be there, but he'll keep getting fed targets regardless. 45% air yard share. That's a league high. 31% target share. Trails only Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel. Like, he has legitimate top five wide receiver usage, but because he's on the Texans, we got to just treat him as a top 35 receiver. Ridiculous, but he is someone that should still continue to be, and a lot of starting lineups doesn't need to be, though. The Dolphins, yes, they're paying Byron Jones and Xavier Howard a lot of money to be great cornerbacks not saying they've been bad I thought both actually performed fairly admirably last week but either way this is the second worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers so if you got Brandon Cooks feel good about starting him otherwise you know screw every single person in Houston at this point Dwayne what's going on in Miami I just love the dramatic pause after screw everyone in Houston at this point I, 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 I was going to say a worse word but I didn't so I'll take that as a small win <laughs> Yeah. So look, it's it's the opposite, right? If if you have players playing against Houston, it start everyone against Houston. So I mean, Tua this week, you know, I've got him in my third tier of quarterbacks, Ian. So right now I've got him at uh, quarterback thirteen on a quarterback strength of schedule. It is the it is a ten out of a ten. That is pristine 
perfect. Um, so, and we know that the Dolphins love to pass the football. They pass the ball above the league averages in every single situation, trailing plus 9%, close plus 4%, leading, leading plus 15%. So the Dolphins weren't kidding when they told us this offseason that they were going to have a new offense, that they were going to be more aggressive. They were going to attack. They were going to throw the ball all the time. So Tua has been back to pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. I know it got a little bit more dinky-dunky whenever we were dealing with Jacoby Brissett, but he's getting the ball out quick, and he is pushing it downfield. It was a tough matchup last week against the Bills. I know he's had a few tough games, but I think this is a really good spot for Tua. So he's going to be borderline um, a QB1 this week. Then if you look over at the backs, it doesn't apply as much to the backs end just because Miami does like to throw the ball so much and they mix these guys up so much. Miles Gaskin last week, we talked about it, you know, on the recap show, but look, it just didn't come to fruition. doesn't matter. They want to use three backs. They don't care if it's named about Malcolm Brown, Patrick Laird, could be Jared Dokes, could be Duke Johnson, doesn't matter. There's going to be a third back active. They're going to be involved in the game. It is a good matchup, though, for Gaskin. It's an 8.7 running back strength of schedule, which is the second best on the slate. And he's also a good receiver out of the backfield. That's really where I would look for him to really make, you know, make more of his money this weekend, Ian, would be if Gaskin could score a receiving touchdown, you know, against the Texans. Now, they're only six and a half point favorites, which is like, that's probably the least, you know, Houston's been a dog in about four or five weeks now. Like, they've been a huge dog, like, to some of these teams, like the Rams over the last few weeks. Um, As far as the receivers go, look, Jalen Waddell didn't have a good game last week. Only 50% of his passes were catchable. Um, You talked about a little bit on the recap show. They're just not quite on the same page you you mentioned seeing them talk a lot you know i saw the same thing on the sidelines like they were trying to figure out okay what's going on but look we've seen waddle and we've seen Tua actually be able to make these connections before the biggest takeaway for me really around the dolphins passing game is that Jalen waddle was still at 28 percent of the targets even you had 33 percent of the targets going to Devontae parker and it was really mike you know Gusecki that was the Mike Gusecki that was the odd man out, but it wasn't because he wasn't on the field. Mike Gusecki was on the field for 98% of the routes last week, and he also gets a perfect tight end strength of schedule. So a 10 out of a 10, he gets Who a cares? plus 27. He's not a tight end, Dwayne. We need to be better at this. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He lines up in the slot for the most part. So that's, so, he's, so cite his wide receiver score. That's my point. Yeah, but I don't care because he's still facing tight. He's still facing linebackers and safeties a lot. So, like, whenever you look at who he's matching up against and who most of his targets are coming against, it's linebackers and safeties. It's not cornerbacks covering him. So that's why, I mean, that's the main thing that I care about. Like, if he was lining up out wide more and actually having to take on cornerbacks, which you are seeing more of with Kyle Pitts, you're not seeing it as much with Gusecki because he's lining up inside from the slot so often. So, like, if you go look at his targets versus linebackers and safeties, um, actually, I have it, but I would have to get to it and pull it up. I'll pull it up here in a second. But it, it is still a perfect 10 out of 10. Um, and guess what? Here, here, Ian, it doesn't even matter. If you want to look at the receivers, it's a 9 out of 10. So Thank basically, you. anybody you. you have, you can start. I would still use Forgaseki. I would use the tight end matchup because he lines up in the slot so much, and he does get tight end. He does get linebackers and safeties on him more than he does cornerbacks. So those are all great options this weekend. It could be a situation where you do actually have Miami get out to a big enough of a lead. They actually decide they want to run the ball. I would be interested in that science experiment just to see if they actually have that in their DNA. If that does happen, don't expect it to be Miles Gaston. It'll probably be Salvin Ahmed because he's the guy that does work in a little bit more whenever they're running the ball. Goes to show you that the only people more silly than fancy analysts treating Mike Jasicki as a tight end or the defensive coordinators that apparently are doing so. So, now nah, that's <laughs> a good point, Dwayne, about who's lining up on him. And, hey, as silly as it is, I mean, Kyle Pitts, first NFL touchdown, they had a defensive end trying to guard him on the goal line. So, 
hey, they're going to do it, whatever, continue to fire them up in fantasy land. Raiders at the Giants, Las Vegas sitting as three-point favorites. Game total at 47. Um, if you guys saw, we got the Henry Rugg situation going, got a DUI, and there was a casualty in the car that he hit. Latest I have seen is from Ian Rapport saying that Henry Ruggs was booked into the Clark County Detention Center this afternoon. Obviously, he will not be playing this Sunday and maybe never again. With that in mind, expecting Zay Jones to leap into three wide receiver sets alongside Brian Edwards and Hunter Renfro. It's tough to think how this could impact the offense, though, man. You take away someone with Ruggs' sort of field-stretching ability, it is going to crowd things a lot, I think, more in the middle areas of the field. Usually in these situations, volume tends to win out. So Brian Edwards, even if he's going to lose, you know, theoretically a half yard off his yards per target because he doesn't have rugs we'll take the extra targets eight days of the week in fantasy land so yeah brian edwards seemingly is someone we can get behind a little bit more but let's wait and see kind of how this target share is looking in a post rugs offense before firing up any of these wide receivers with confidence because at the end of the day it's still darren waller and Let's relax a little bit on Darren Waller. And I think people are, for the most part, like he's one of these, oh, you buy low on him. But I don't think Darren Waller managers like are actually trying to sell him uh, for pennies on the dollar because we saw this happen last year. And it was even worse last year, man. PPR points in weeks one through six in 2020, he had 73.5. This year is at 82.8. So even if you take away week one from his expected points, which I don't know why you would he is someone that has the ability <laughs> to have like you know 15 plus targets in the game he's still a tight end six so the usage hasn't been as much as we wanted because we always want guys to get more targets but if you keep that week one game which again i think you should he's only behind travis freaking kelsey so credit to the giants for holding travis kelsey and check on monday night but it's darren waller everyone get him out there as long as he's healthy he's had the bye week to rest up i think he should be good and if he's not we're gonna fire up foster moreau right behind him pretty much like in a dallas goddard zach Ertz situation so moreau at this point you know Irv smith out uh Irv smith out for the season dallas goddard is now a starter Foster Moreau, I think, does have a case as one of the league's better backup tight ends where when the starter goes down, we can almost fire them up. Not quite the same. I'm not saying that Moreau would be you know, a top three fantasy tight end if Waller goes out, but you can't start him with confidence, and particularly like Waller fantasy managers. If he's out, you can go with Moreau as his replacement. And then just shout out to Derek Carr. You know, he still has me blocked on Twitter, but I keep giving him praise because, you know, some things are bigger than Twitter beef, uh, Dwayne. Derek Carr this year joins Kyler Murray and and Tom Brady is the only quarterbacks with at least 20 big-time throws. And no, it is not just a volume thing. Carr's 8.6% big-time throw rate trails only Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson among 34 qualified quarterbacks. Pretty good company to be keeping, if you ask me. So Derek Carr, right there in that QB1 borderline, you know, maybe keep the expectations for the upside of this offense just a little bit more in check without rugs. Obviously starting Waller, and we're feeling a little bit better about Brian Edwards. With the backfield, let's see how the situation is with Josh Jacobs. He has had a week to get healthy after the chest injury. Uh, Tom Pelissero, I believe, reported that is not a major injury. We'll see what the practice report says. I mean, Jacobs is always playing with one thing or another. If he's out there, you know, probably wait for it, low-end RB2. Uh, if he's not out there, it would be Peyton Barber likely being more of a volume-based RB3. We do need to see this post-Gruden offense really treat Barber the same way as they did with Gruden in there. Either way, just don't play Kenyon Drake. He is like the has the least upside of maybe any RB2 in the league. I don't know why they paid him so much money in free agency. Here we are. Don't 
even roster him at this point. Like Dwayne, he said this a couple weeks ago, like why roster Kenyon Drake? He's had these, he had like his two touchdowns on four touches and then they had no choice uh, two weeks ago because Peyton Barber wasn't active. Like but Drake's best case scenario isn't even different from his worst case scenario. So yeah, get him off the freaking <laughs> roster at this point. Now, yeah. with, with the Giants, Dwayne, it was funny. I wrote a, I have my QB predictions piece out every week. You can go read that on pff.com. And I always got to update the Monday night guys afterwards. And uh, this week, the only section I had to up- I'd update for the Daniel Jones was I had to update the injuries for his wide receivers who actually got healthy for a minute, but now we got Tony and Shepard banged up again. And damn it, Dwayne sucks because at this point, like everyone is banged up in this offense. They can't keep anyone healthy. Yeah, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here just because of what you just mentioned. So, I mean, whenever I was looking at this matchup, it's 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 tough to say anything. We could get Galladay back this week. Shepard left the game, didn't return. Tony actually did come on and off the field throughout the end of the game. So, hopefully it's something. And Tony just appears to be one of these guys, like, anytime he gets hurt a little. Remember how uh, LaShawn McCoy used to be? Like, you'd swear yeah. he blew his knee out every time he got hurt. He'd be just <laughs> writhing on the ground. And you're like, oh, my God, like, freaking bringing it like you need a helicopter to pick this guy up and then he'd be back out there like a quarter later and so (laughs) you're kind of getting that vibe from tony is he one of these guys at any time you know he has a little tweak it's like oh my god everything the world is ending um but it doesn't help that he has been injured but you're right he was in and out of the game um slayton is really the only guy that you know we can depend on right now and he and daniel jones have shown you know they've They've had some good chemistry in the past, but they've just they've just barely missed on a few big plays this year. So if it's a situation where you've got multiple of these guys out and you're dealing with bye weeks, Slayton is somebody that you could look at. We're also looking at, you know, Saquon Barkley. Is he going to be back? The other thing you got to remember is the Giants have a bye week next week. So they get a bye week in week 10. They could choose to rest these players longer, get a bye week, and then come back with them. So it's really tough. The matchups are not great. They're okay. Like the, the receiver matchups are average. That The matchup, you know, for Daniel Jones is also average. So it's not something like, you know, you're sitting here going, oh, damn, man, I'm really going to miss this great matchup, not having them on the field this week. We're really just going to have to wait and see who's going to be healthy. Obviously, if Kadarius Tony can get out there and practice some fool by like Thursday or Friday, you know, you can feel a little better about him, especially if Sterling Shepard's not going to be out there. Shepard's the one I'm a little more worried about because he hasn't been able to to finish the game the last two weeks it's almost like they really just need to shut him down Ian and see if they can get him better we'll see what happens with Galladay and with Barkley oh and I did want to say real quick I did go back and look just to kind of like so to to give you so on pits you know what you were talking about um and the reason why I agree is because 40 he only he only runs a route against a linebacker or a safety 49 percent you know of his targets but if you look at Gasicki, he's still getting 72% of his looks against a linebacker or a safety. So when you're looking at pits, you at least need to be splitting it. Like, okay, he's going to get half versus linebackers and safeties, the other half against, you know, the corners. Whenever you look at Gasecki, it's really still mostly going to be linebackers and safeties. All right. You win this round, Mr. McFarlane. I'll give it to you, I guess. Hey, <laughs> hey uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh did you watch the Manning stream on Monday night? Oh dude, yes, yes. It dude, I'll tell you honestly, I'm gonna have to start turning it off because it like it delays me on the utilization report because I keep turning. <laughs> and, usually I can have a game on as background noise, like and I'll turn my desk where I can just glance up at the game and I'll mute it. But I turn theirs on and I listen and they get the best guess. Like when they had Brady the week before, I loved it. Like Michael Irvin was great, you know, at the end of the game, you know, this week. Like I mean, Josh I actually, Allen was out there. 
Yeah, Josh Allen was out there. Yeah, Michael, dude, Michael Strahan was great. Like I love listening to Strahan and listen, you know, to him and man. It's funny though because it's like Eli is like just the cool kid making jokes, and Peyton just wants to nerd out the whole time. Like they'll be telling funny jokes, and Peyton will be like, "Guys, guys, on that last play there, on that last play, Michael, did you see how the guard pulled around? And when he grabs that guy, like that's got to be hard for you as a defensive end, you know, because you're thinking, okay, this is a running play. Like he's actually trying to get Strahan to do analysis, like in in. Eli, it's like that old commercial with them where they're walking down the hall at ESPN kick, and their brother kick, kick, kick their hands off each other. <laughs> and they're doing the fake kick, you know, like back behind, you know, back behind the behind the leg kick, like into the ass. Yeah, it's funny stuff. I was just uh, the one spot that really cracked me up was before the half, like the Giants had maybe the worst like two minute drill I've ever uh-huh. seen. It, conc- it concluded where they got a delayed game. So then instead of throwing a Hail Mary, they just nailed the ball after just an atrocious <laughs> two minutes. But at one point, it was like third and 18. They run a draw to seemingly like give up on this. And Devontae Booker breaks like yes. three tackles, finds hey, a way Manning to fight his way out of the <laughs> Payne's like, that is the best football play I have ever seen. And it was, yes. it was an amazing play by Devontae Booker. So that was my roundabout way of just saying with Booker, again, volume-based RB2. We've been saying this for yeah. three, four weeks now. It doesn't change. And I actually thought that he looked – maybe it was because they were playing the Chiefs. But Booker, to me, was almost the epitome of like a replacement-level volume-based talent over those first few weeks. He looked pretty good. So I'm not saying that was the best play of NFL in NFL history, but you know what? Peyton Manning knows a lot more about football than I do, so maybe everyone. Chargers at the Eagles. Chargers sitting as just one-point favorites. I, you know, I would say go bet on them, but they, they keep burning me, so I, I don't even know what this Chargers team anymore. Chargers going to Charger. Game total is sitting at 50, so I'm curious to see what version of this Eagles defense shows up because if you just look at their schedule, they are getting lit up by good quarterbacks, which I would say Justin Herbert is, and really shutting down the bad ones. So I'm not trying to hate on Matt Ryan here. That was not my goal, but he only scored six points in week one. That was the bad version of Matt. 49ers, 17 points. Cowboys and Chiefs, 41-42 points. They face the Panthers, only give up 18 points. Come back against Brady and Derek Carr, 28-33 points, and then get to face Jared Goff, only six points. So this could be a good litmus test to see like where actually does the Philly defense hold up uh, compared to you know just other defenses because I don't think we see them see many teams being this volatile on a week-to-week basis. Just something to keep uh, an eye on. But yeah, should be seeing Keenan Allen or actually. It's tough with Darius Slay. So Philly runs so much zone coverage that Darius Slay's shadow is a little bit different, I think, than other cornerbacks. So he might actually end up being more on Mike Williams because Keenan spends a good chunk of time in the slot. But honestly, like if Slay is on Mike, I mean, we saw this when Slay shadowed DK Metcalf last year. Like there's only so much that he can do against someone just has that big of a size advantage against him. So don't worry about the Mike Williams duds, people. Again, context matters, as Dwayne tells you every single time you go to his Twitter profile. He dudded against the Raiders in a game where he was wide open for a potential 80-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, Herbert missed him. And then he dudded against the Ravens when he was banged up and played only 20 snaps. And then, yes, against the Patriots, who basically have now in two consecutive matchups really limited Justin Herbert. Didn't have a good game either, but this week we got Philly. Next week, we get the Vikings. So continue to start Mike Williams. He is still an upside wide receiver too, at worst, in my humble opinion. Then we also got Keenan Allen, who 
I know a lot of people were expecting maybe coming out of Dubai for him to get back to doing Keenan Allen things. And he really has been the same guy this year, people. It's just been an issue of volume. He's averaging more yards per out run, more yards per reception on a higher average target depth this year compared to last. Again, it just comes down to volume. 9.9 .9 targets per game this year. When he had Herbert under center in non-injury limited games last year, he was at 12.2 targets. So yeah, when you're getting, you know, two and a half fewer, 2.3 fewer targets per game, it is going to show up in the box score. But at the same time, you know, this is still an offense and a passing game that is trying to go through Keenan and Mike Williams first and foremost. So even if, you know, Keenan is not going to be that top eight, top 10 receiver, maybe that some of us were hoping he could be, still someone that should be in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes week in and week out. Same goes for Austin Eckler, uh, obviously. And really with Jared Cook, someone that I wasn't so much on throughout the preseason process because I just looked at him as best case, the offense is number four pass game option, which I think that has largely come to fruition. But really, man, uh, we saw him last week split snaps more than ever, ever with Donald Parham. So I don't want anything to do with either of these tight ends. Add them to the laundry list of teams where if one guy didn't exist, we can get behind the other guy. That's not how it is in reality, though. So just fade the situation, even in a good matchup against the Eagles. Dwayne, Jalen Hurts, man, he is human. I guess when he can't play the fourth quarter, he can't provide QB1 goodness. <laughs> Hate to see it. Yeah, and so it's, the question is, like, how often are the Eagles really going to face that sort of a game script? You know, I mean, it never just, again. It, yeah, it takes a perfect tsunami, also known as the Lions. Well, let's let's like, do they play the Texans? If they play the Texans, it could probably happen again. But outside of that, it's a problem. So, I mean, if you look at, you know, the Eagles this year, um, that is their first game where if you look at their leading by four points or more that's the first time they've had a game where they've led over 50 they've led by four or more over 50 percent of the snaps week one they got to 49 percent but after that <laughs> they've led by four or more points this many times zero 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 percent and then they had 12 percent week seven and then 78 percent last week which is really what enabled everybody it's so funny watching everybody go oh the eagles are a ground and pound team now well they led the whole game i mean they ran the ball 69 percent of plays they only dropped back to pass 31 percent of the time that'll happen like when you're just destroying another team by 30 points so it's kind of funny like how quickly people do lose context because as you know Ian it does matter. As far as Hurts goes, you know, you got to keep firing him up. It's funny like too, like what I see in the Twitter streets is so, is so many people, man, do I start do I start Taysom Hill over Jalen Hurts this week? People like, come on, he, he's giving you one bad game. He's the number 2 quarterback in fantasy football still. Like you start him every week until he's benched right now. Like you've got to play Jalen Hurts, and not we love Taysom Hill, and Taysom Hill could give you something similar to this. But Hurts has been doing it every single week except the last week. You know, if you look at him, you know, from a strength of schedule this week, it's not that great, but it, it's not that bad either. And for Hurts, it hasn't mattered this year. Every every week, there's a handful of quarterbacks. It's mainly the rushing ones. Um, I just ignore. Like, what does that strength of schedule indicator say? Look, I, I look at it and I go, don't care. You know, now I look at the receivers and I, I have to make a little bit of a different call. Like, what is that going to look like for the receivers? Obviously, that can cap some upside for a quarterback. But Jalen Hurts is a must start every single week right now. Unless, you know, whatever, you've got, you know, Josh Allen. You could you could have taken Hurts late enough that you do have a Josh Allen or someone like that on your team. But there's very, very few quarterbacks you should be starting over Jalen Hurts at this point. I just wish, Ian, that we really had – I'm not even going to talk about these running backs. Like, it's a complete mess. If people want to hear more about it, go listen to the recap. It's basically you got Scott as the opener. 
you got Jordan Howard as the the player taking over some of the short down and distance stuff, and then you got the closer Kenny Gainwell, who obviously and that's just one week, man. Who knows what they're going to do? Yeah, next week. who knows what it's, they're going to do? But the problem is, like, it's just it's probably just going to be a big committee, and it's also a team that normally has to pass the ball all the time. They didn't have to do that last week, so think of it this way. I just told you how how much they led and how much they ran the ball. If you're in a game scenario where they can't run the ball 65% of the time, do you want to have anything to do with any back getting 30% of the work for the Eagles? Probably not. You probably just want to avoid it. I'm seeing some rankings and stuff out there like already with people talking about Boston Scott. Like I'm like, no way. He's no way. He's not going to be in my top 24. There's no way. And the matchup's solid. Like the matchup's pretty good this week for Boston Scott for all the backs. Um, but they will not. None of them will be in my top 24. Boston Scott. You know, I don't know Ian that. I mean, I may have Scott in my top 36. Like, I was going to say, who's saying 24? I would say 36 is like where we can start having that conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I was just looking at some stuff earlier online of where people are putting in. And I was like, I was surprised. I was like, whoa. It's like, man, like he scored two touchdowns. Like that totally saved his day. Um, so I, I think some people just have the assumption that, well, really, he's going to get all the work, Jordan. But Jordan Howard worked into that game early and often. You could say Gainwell may not have a role. He was just the closer. But also Gainwell could still be the two-minute back. They didn't even need the two-minute offense last week. So I, I'm with you. I think it's like we've just seen one game. It could play out another way. The bottom line is I know they want three guys involved, and they typically don't get to run the ball a lot. I wish, you know, where I was kind of going is I really wish we had a weapon that we could use with Jalen Hurts, and I know part of this does go back to Jalen Hurts. But right now, I just don't think I can find a way. You know, I've continued to try to stick with Devonta Smith. Like, the utilization's there. Like, the utilization screams he should be a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. Um, you know, the catchable passes are a little bit of a problem over the last couple of weeks, but overall for the season, like they're still good. I just worry that this this match between Hertz and Smith so far, it just hasn't looked that good. The matchup's not tough. It's it's not easy, but it's not like something that I would look at and be like, oh my God, I just wouldn't want to play Devonta Smith. And we all know matchups are overrated anyway, but we do, we like Ian says, we do lean to them in tiebreakers. Um, so now Dallas Goddard is really the play. Like, Goddard is over 80% of the routes for the second week in a row. You know, his, his historical targets per route run have been over 20%. Last week, he got up to 30%. So Goddard will be in my top six to seven tight ends. He doesn't have like an elite matchup, but he has a really, really good matchup. And on a normal week, I would call he'd be borderline elite. There's just so many other really great matchups this week. Like Darren Waller's got the second juiciest matchup. Gasicki's got the number one. And then you've got a couple of other guys all right around where Goddard's at. But I like Dallas Goddard a lot. It'll be hard for me to keep him out of the top seven or six this week. With Hurts, I was just looking at his game log here real quick because he had four 300-yard mm-hmm. passing games in his first Earlier eight on. career starts. Yeah. He's fallen off the last four weeks, and I looked at it real quick, and we got the Panthers, Buccaneers, Raiders. Very good pass rushes against a banged-up Philly offensive line, so yeah. maybe that could turn a corner. Obviously, Detroit game, you just can't do much for 14 pass attempts. The problem, people, we got the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Saints. Coming up next, three more awfully good defensive lines. I guess maybe Denver isn't quite the same monster yeah. now without Von Miller, but Bradley Chubb is expected to be back before too long. Just something to keep in mind. Packers at the Chiefs. KC open as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, down to just a one-point favorite at home. I remember last year Mahomes was an underdog against the Ravens, and I just you know bet on him because, hey, he was an underdog, and I thought we might never see a situation again. Seems like we're getting pretty close there, people. Game total resting at 54-and-a-half. So with the Packers, 
think I had Aaron Jones like my overall RB3 last week because we see them feed him the ball when Devontae Adams is sidelined. What happened? 15 carries and, more importantly, 11 targets. Absolutely love it. I don't... Dwayne, I don't think Adams has been activated off COVID yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. Lazard has... Yes, yes. Lazard has, and you would think MVS is a little bit closer to coming back um, after not being able to last week. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, if Devontae Adams stays out, they basically treat Aaron Jones as their focal point in the passing game. And like, this is what frustrates me, man, because I don't understand why they can't. You know, look, you don't need to give Aaron Jones 11 targets a week when, Devont, when you have Devontae Adams, but his usage, again, Aaron Jones was on pace for fewer targets in 2021 than he had in 2020 before last week. So I just wish they could keep him more consistently involved in the passing game week-to-week basis. Either way, though, you're firing him up as an RB1 with or without Adams. It is interesting, though, Dwayne, seeing how much more Dylan has gotten involved over the past five weeks. I know we have had some funky game scripts. Packers are a very good team. They're playing with a lead in a good amount of time. But just over the past five weeks, Aaron Jones, 63 carries. A.J. Dillon, 53. So with Jones really continuing to get all the pass down work, it doesn't help Dylan really become someone you can start with a ton of confidence, but he's at least in flex standalone um, at this point in time, and it continues to be one of the best handcuffs you could have in all of fantasy football. Chiefs run D is bottom five in yards per carry and yards before contact allowed per carry. So, hey, perhaps this is the week that Dylan and Jones are able to each find the end zone, provide some goodness. Just real quick on Devontae Adams. Like, just it's just so incredible how good he is. If you look at the top seasons and yards per route run from 2020 to 2021, Adams has two of the top five spots. He has truly been every bit as good this year as he was last year. But the really cool stat I found, so in the fourth quarter over the past two seasons, Devontae Adams is averaging 3.5, fourth quarter and overtime, 3.59 yards per route run in these situations. Nobody else is over even 3.05. So Adams, everybody knows the ball is going to him in these situations, and he is still by far the most efficient receiver in those situations. Like I would have expected the counting stats to be up there because I we, we see it with our own two eyes every week. Like Rodgers going to Adams at the end of games and defenses can't stop it. I just thought, hey, maybe over a larger sample, like the efficiency would fall off. And actually, not only do we see them connect uh, more often in the fourth quarter and overtime, they're becoming more efficient in the clutch as well. Absolutely wild to see. So hopefully Adams is healthy enough to suit up this week. If not, Randall Cobb would be the preferred guy again. Just be careful, though, because last week he did catch those two touchdowns. Caught them on a total of five targets, three catches, 15 yards otherwise. So I don't think he's going to have, you know, that Jordan Howard-esque line too many times here uh, moving forward. But, hey, if Adams is going to remain sideline, it does seem like Cobb would be the wide receiver to roster in Fantasyland. Dwayne, it looked like... I mean, everyone was cracking their Derek Gore tweets uh, in the first half. Everyone was, was getting funny their jokes out. I was like, wait, is that Frank Gore? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love the, uh, obviously the fantasy footballers are fantastic what they do, but Andy Holloway uh, in particular had a great tweet that was like Frank Gore with the mustache just saying he's Derek Gore. So that cracked me up. But I think, Dwayne, when you look a little bit closer at the full game, this is still Daryl Williams' backfield. Yeah, and, and we could get CEH back. Like, he's yeah. actually able, he's able to come off, you know, of IR at this point. So we'll see what happens with him. He's been out his three weeks. I haven't heard anything else on him. I looked it up earlier today. I didn't see anything new. So we'll see if he practices this week. Um, as far as Mahomes goes, man, this is the first time, Ian, um, in his career since he became the starter, even going back to some of those games where he was, you know, if you get rid of the games, he was injured. But even after he came back those games, 
whatever in 2019 where he had the the knee issue um, that he heard on that quarterback sneak. Um, this is the first time where he has finished outside the top 15 two consecutive fa- two consecutive yeah. weeks from a fantasy perspective. He's finished 21st and 16th. Um, so you know there's definitely some problems going on with the Chiefs offense. But if you drafted Mahomes, obviously you're going to keep firing him up. You got the number one game total on the slate this week, which typically if you're if you've got the Chiefs, you're going to be dealing one of the top five game totals because they get a lot of points love from Vegas. Period. Anyway, but the implied points 27.75. That's still going to be top five on the week as well. So you're going to use Mahomes, but there is definitely something going on. You know, it was interesting getting Chris's take on it last week on the Chris. Collinsworth podcast where you and I were able to hop on and we were, you know, we even asked Chris, we're like, well, what's the next move for the chiefs? Like if they can't like string together these 15 play drives without hitting big plays, like what's the next chess move? And Chris was like, there's not a next chess move. Like that's what they have to do. So it was interesting. Quick note from last night. And yes, you guys, I'm always taking your feedback on the utilization report. I was not able to get all the charts in for the Monday night games, but I did go into our tool ultimate and I pulled all the notes. So there is news and notes on the Monday night football. I take all your feedback. I do listen to you. Um, some of you guys are, you freaking hound me, dude. Like they'll chase me down in the streets, Ian. It'll be like three days later. <laughs> when are you putting the Monday night football stuff in there, McFarland? Paying for a subscription. So here you go. I listen to you guys and I love you. I love all of you. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to see somebody in public one day. Somebody's just going to punch me in. Where's the money night stats? Uh, uh, so, but if you look at um, this game, a couple notes. I'll give some notes on the Derek Gore thing here in a second, too. But Josh Gordon saw a season high in 42% routes per pass play. I'm not saying that's not great, but it's way higher than anything he's seen in the past. He hasn't even hit 10% before Monday night. So you saw Demarcus Robinson and Michael Hardman saw their routes go down. So they're obviously they're interested and starting to try to figure out what else can we do here um, because it is it is a problem for him right now. Um, and if you look at Kelsey, like he continues to get these really good matchups, and he's, he's typically been coming through. He wasn't able to come through last night. Look, even the elite guys can have a tough game, but he's got another pretty good matchup this week. His tight end matchup is the number one on the slate. And the matchup tool, like part of that is – Kelsey's part of the equation, right? When I give you the tight end strength of schedule, that's purely looking at the opponent. So when you look at just purely the opponent, it's an above average matchup. But whenever you're looking at Kelsey versus the one-on-one matchups that he should see, it's a 54 overall, which is the top grade on the slate this week. If you look at Tyree Kill, He's got the sixth best cornerback wide receiver matchup on the slate. And guess what? With Tyreek Hill, you really don't care who's playing. You're going you're gonna to use him every week. It just kind of sucks not being able to get these big plays. Now, for some reason, Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't play this week. Um, Darrell Williams was out there last night for 64% of the snaps. He still handled 50% of the team rushing attempts. Um, you saw Jarrett McKinnon take over the long down and distance, though, Ian, um, which he had already had the two-minute offense before, so I thought that was kind of weird. And then we did get Derek Gore cutting into his rushing attempts. But what was really interesting about it, if you looked at Derek Gore, he was only out there for 20% of the snaps, and he took up 46% of the rushing attempts. Almost all of those came in one drive. So it was one of those deals where Derek Gore got on the field And it was actually one of the drives where the Chiefs were able to stay out there for multiple plays in a row. And he happened to be the guy that was on the field. So nothing against Derek Gore. Like he he looked fine on the carries that he had, but he kind of got lucky. Had Darrell Williams been in there on that drive, 
it was one of their longest drives of the game, Daryl Williams' numbers would have looked totally different. So that's how these, just these little bitty things, like sometimes, you know, can play a big role in how these numbers come out. And so I wouldn't read a whole lot into Gore's numbers. Uh, now, you could make the argument that, wow, well, he looked really good. Maybe they need to give him more. Well, they didn't really for the rest of the game. Like he hardly, he, he saw a few other drives where he got to rotate in for a couple plays here or there, but it's not like they didn't give him another drive like that. Um, of course, they didn't have another drive as long as that one. I don't think I'd have to go back and look for sure. So um, those were all my news and notes on the Chiefs. But yeah, he had that good drive in the first half. You would think they would have given him more run. Second half, second half snaps, Daryl Williams 30, Gore 3, McKinnon yeah. 3. I was I was getting nervous watching it, Dwayne, because I was like, we just recorded our freaking waiver wire podcast. Is this guy now going to be the top own, top out of the entire week? No, you do not do not get him, people. If I gave him Clyde, a don't buy, Ian, don't buy was what I gave yeah, him. Yeah, seriously, like it's Clyde's going to be back if not this week, seemingly soon. And w- what are you getting in Gore, even if Clyde is not back? Not someone you, you can't start him. That's what. No, absolutely not. Uh, final note, just something cool I found real quick. Chiefs over the last two weeks have combined to score 23 points. They finished with fewer than 23 points in a single game one time in 2018 and 2019 combined, including playoffs. This truly is the worst we have seen this Chiefs offense look since Mahomes has been. And they barely beat the Giants. They barely beat them. Yeah. That's all we needed to say. Just Jason Garrett train picture. You guys barely beat. (laughs) You guys barely beat these guys. Cardinals. We need need Patrick Mahomes popping out just behind him now. You got to work. You got to work out. You got to work on that. You got Jason, and then you need Mahomes' face though in that TikTok video where his brother, you know, where he looks completely annoyed. I, I am annoyed with Jackson Mahomes. I will tell you that much. Cardinals at 49ers. Arizona, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total of 46-and-a-half. Injuries to monitor in this one. Obviously, Kyler was all kinds of banged up at the end of that last Thursday night game. You know, we haven't heard anything insinuating that he could be missing this game, but just keep an eye on that. We did see last year as he was playing through that shoulder injury. It really did kind of seem to result in him rushing the ball a lot less, and we saw his accuracy dip off a little bit as well. And more problematic could be the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. Had that awesome long catch uh, last week and then pulled his hamstring on the play. Wasn't able to keep on keeping on. So this has been something he's been dealing with throughout the year. We see Hopkins time and time again throughout his career playing hurt, you know, not practicing throughout the week, coming out and playing Sunday. Dude is certainly a warrior. He has missed, let's see, two Two career games. That is freaking incredible. Kudos to you, DeAndre Hopkins. He played that one playoff game with like a completely torn labrum, I think. Like this guy, if he can't play, he will be out there. Just realized might not be getting the best version of himself. And honestly, the 49ers took this offense back in week five, held them to 17 points. So without Nuke out there, it is kind of problematic to think what this whole offense will look like. Yeah, we're getting upgrades to Christian Kirk, AJ Green, and Rondell Moore alike. But hey, I think we also what happened last week when all of a sudden A.J. Green became the primary outside receiver, not DeAndre Hopkins, all of a sudden didn't quite look as hot. So not concerned about Rondale Moore having some of those miscues last week. He is still just a rookie, and it was just good to see him on the field more often, man. You don't really see guys in the NFL. You see very few of them, I should say, moving the way Rondale does. So I was just happy to see them get the five targets and two rush attempts, even if that still probably isn't enough. Yeah, he lost a fumble, but you know what? People lose fumbles every single week. At least we did get the season-high 61% snap right there. So I'd be most excited about playing Rondale out of the receivers. And then as for these 
uh, running backs. Chase Edmonds broke his 97-touch scoreless streak, which was awesome. Cool little wildcat design. And the 49ers, they are second-worst defense in the league in explosive run play rate. So Chase, I do think, is kind of around that RB2 borderline because James Conner is just doing James Conner things. I will say this, though, Dwayne. I respect James Conner for being great at vulturing it's not just that because like that would be what would piss me off if they kept using connor inside the five and like he wasn't doing a good job at this you can't blame I, I, him really, for continuing to do it because he he scores every time it's incredible he is six for seven on carries inside the five yard line going for touchdowns so that is a league best 85.7 percent touchdown conversion rate and he is pff's highest graded rusher inside the five yard line and this isn't like a new phenomenon because i was breaking this down in the summer i had that old you know or reliable 100 questions in a 100 day series and when i was looking at the cardinals running back room i mean i went back and i looked at connor this is among a 38 back sample from 2017 to 2020 he was first in PFF rushing grade inside the five, fourth in touchdown conversion rate, and first in first down or touchdown conversion rate. So clearly the Cardinals signed him and, you know, having his ex-Steelers uh, running back coach on staff has something to do with that. They had a defined role in mind for James Conner, and he is doing everything with it that we could have hoped for. So Conner is a touchdown dependent RB3, I still think, particularly without, you know, our 16 bye weeks here. It's going to be tough to squeeze him in that top 24, particularly in match like this one where I'm just not all that confident in the Cardinals getting out to a big league. When we see the games where the Cardinals, you know, are touchdown plus favorites, particularly at home, that's when you want to go with James Conner. This one, I would probably answer most similarly close start sit questions with the other guy. Um, Zach Ertz, I think we just basically, I'm pulling up his numbers now, but we basically saw what we were expecting, Dwayne, unless my memory is really screwing me during this live recording. Yeah, four targets, caught all four of them, 42 yards last week. He's going to get probably four to five targets a week. He's not going to score a 47-yard touchdown on those targets every single time. So Ertz, one of many tight ends that will probably be around that tight end one borderline more weeks than not moving forward. Dwayne, I'm not happy that Trey Lance is on the sideline. With that said, Jimmy G being under center is better for Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel. So I guess we should at least be a little thankful for that. Yeah, um, I, I prefer that. I mean, I have Elijah Mitchell and Debo a lot more than I have Trey Lance. And where I have Trey Lance, I've typically got him sitting behind like Jalen Hurts. So it's like, ah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> now, if, if Jalen Hurts ultimately ends up getting benched because, you know, Nick Sirianni feels like he needs to prove something, um, you know, then that might think, make things a little different for me. But Elijah Mitchell, yeah, man, 75, uh, 69%, you know, of the rushing attempts and 75% of the rushing attempts in the two games with Jimmy G. You, know, you go back to the game that he had with Trey Lance, he was not anywhere near that number. He was below 50%. So it is definitely a better world for Elijah Mitchell with Jimmy G under center, even though Jimmy G did snipe two rushing touchdowns this last week. Um, you know, that's not something that we're going to see every week. Um, Debo Samuel, man, I'm sorry, real quick on Mitchell for this week. Um, he's got a great, he's got a really nice matchup. If you look at it, um, he has got the number 10 running back strength of schedule on the week. And he has got a 98 out of 100 offensive line run blocking advantage. Ooh. So our team at PFF quickly removing Mr. JJ Watt from, you know, the, uh, from the strength of schedule tool. And that really did hurt, you know, the Cardinals from that perspective and the 49ers have, you know, they have a good run blocking offensive line. So Mitchell's in a good spot this week. Then if you look at Debo, man, it's just crazy, Ian, 33% of the targets on the season, 36% of his targets come on play action, which really helps him. We talked about this last week on the Collinsworth podcast with AJ Brown, 
Um, A.J. Brown is at 46%, which is like bonkers, leads the league. But still, 36% is plus 13% over what the average wide receiver in the NFL sees as far as what percentage of their uh, targets come on play action. So 36% going to Debo. That's huge for run after the catch. You're creating more space. You're getting him in You know, between linebackers and safeties. You're letting him do his thing. He's hitting more big plays down the field this year. Third and fourth down, he is the target of choice. 31% of the targets on third and fourth down. Third and fourth down, go to Debo Samuel. The next closest 49er is at 13%. Um, we could see George Kittle back this week, so they're expecting him to practice on Wednesday. So we'll see where that goes. They'll still have to activate him and bring him back. But um, Debo, you're going to continue to fire him up like he's a top 12 receiver because guess what? He is a top 12 receiver. And once we get Kittle back in. Every all of his underlings were really good. Like people forget how good Kittle is. I know he's got the injury issues, but as far as his routes, um, his targets per route run, all those things were really strong. So something's going to have to give here because we also saw last week where Brandon Ayuk ran a season high 97% of the routes. He also saw a season high in target share last weekend with 27% by far. That is like by far his highest target share. That you could probably he probably hadn't had that many targets if you added up every target share from every single week. It doesn't total 27%. And so he saw that in one game. So it'll be interesting to see. You know what do they do with Kittle? How do they make this work? My first instinct is Debo Samuel is continues to be the one, but he could give up a little bit, right, if you've got two other weapons to feed. And then I would say Kittle is still my number two in the offense the rest of the way, and Ayuk is my number three. I do think he's at least worth rostering at this point. You know, a week, two weeks ago, we pretty much thought, hey, you know, it's fine if Ayuk's on the wire. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Ayuk. If Kittle does stay sideline, I am getting a little bit more optimistic, but the second Kittle comes back, I just think it's going to be tough sledding. Uh, only note I did find on Mitchell today, which I just think goes to show what we've been seeing with our eyes when we watch this kid play. He is legit very good people and I do think sometimes yards after contact can get skewed uh you know running back Derrick Henry breaks a tackle at the line of scrimmage and runs for a 70 yard touchdown 70 yards after contact but is that really you know what we're trying to prove with that stat so one of the things I like to do is take their total carries and then look at like how many carries are they picking up at yep. least two yards after contact Elijah Mitchell fourth highest mark in the league with a robust 73 percent of his rush attempts having at least two yards after contact so great stuff elijah you know doesn't suck that we all thought it was gonna be trey sermon as the running back this year obviously doesn't take away from what elijah mitchell has done in his first year we're on to the primetime games everyone titans at the rams on sunday night football rams sitting at seven and a half point favorites game total at 53 and a half obviously new look rams defense added von miller God, I can't even imagine trying to prepare to face not just Aaron Donald, but also Von Miller. And oh, hey, if you have enough time to throw, Jalen Ramsey will be lurking in the secondary. So fun to see the Rams just say, yeah, screw those future draft picks, screw those rookies. We'll go get these uh, all pros however the hell we can. But focusing now on the Titans, you know, with the Adrian Peterson situation, the only addition I would make to what we kind of said on the podcast as we get on the waiver podcast, as we get new information, we'll continue to adjust those old opinions. But basically, 
one of the nuggets that we have gotten from uh, PFF's own Doug Keed is that he is expecting a committee approach to replace Derrick Henry, which we knew with Adrian Peterson and McNichols. But we also did get today Deontay Foreman signed, and he could be a part of this as well. For those that don't remember, with Deontay Foreman, pretty sought-after running back initially coming out of Texas, unfortunately suffered an Achilles injury, I believe his second year in the league. And like I remember watching, Dwayne, a random Titans game last year and just being like, oh, shit, like Deontay Foreman's getting some carries out here. Like, he's actually back. They kept him around for a few games, never gave him serious run, but he was there familiar enough with the offense, and he is now back on the squad. So if he is healthy, like, it is not out of the realm of possibilities that we see Peterson and Foreman more or less split the early down work with McNichols being that scat back. So... Hey, I'm not going to turn this into like a shitting on zero RB-ers argument, but this is something we need to remember where as much as running backs are more easily replaceable than wide receivers in terms of, you know, getting that RB2 off the waiver wire and plugging them into your lineup, that certainly happens more than the wide receiver position. But as we're seeing, as we saw with Gamewell, as we're potentially seeing now with Peterson, you know, it's also not so cut and dry as just assuming the next guy up is going to have the same role at running back either. So that will be the most important you know situation to review come next week uh in the meantime though please just be back julio jones because if he's not we could see the this rams defense find a way to take away aj brown who was the overall wide receiver one in week eight in fantasy football land great to see wide receiver four in week seven turns out when you throw someone as good as aj brown the ball a bunch he produces a bunch of good things but yeah i wouldn't expect if Julio Jones is active, I would not expect Jalen Ramsey to shadow him. He has only shadowed DK Metcalf, Mike Evans, and Devontae Adams dating back to last season. And I mean, look at each of those situations. With all due respect to the Buccaneers receivers and Tyler Lockett, they are like the true alphas in those offenses and just the bigger bodied receivers. That someone like Ramsey, I think, could even cause more problems than usual for. Uh, so yeah, if AJ Brown is the only is active and Julio is not, I should say, I could see Ramsey going ahead and taking that one-on-one -on -one assignment because Dwayne like as we talked about on the waiver pod with these other wide receivers there's no one else that the Titans that the Titans don't even want to throw to these other guys hardly so I don't know why the Rams wouldn't decide to stick Ramsey on AJB if Julio remains sidelined but assuming Julio is hopefully back this is not necessarily the big situation to fear if we can avoid a full game's worth of Jalen Ramsey uh, snaps 12th worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers so again it's a matchup so I'm not saying to fade AJ Brown if Julio Jones is out we saw DK Metcalf score two touchdowns on Jalen Ramsey this year and the only time that Ramsey decided to be deployed in shadow coverage but it would be a situation where normally AJ Brown locked in to the top 10 maybe even top five receivers this week if Ramsey is more likely to shadow him I would probably drop him more around that wide receiver one borderline upside wide receiver two range Dwayne I, I'm actually a fan of this uh, Rams offense at this point not necessarily because they've enabled Higby and Woods as much as we want but we know what we're getting Henderson's getting fed Cup's getting fed Stafford does his thing like at least we know what we're getting in LA yeah yeah and you're just hoping one of the other pieces you know hit if you happen to you know need to throw them in the flex for the week but yeah the thing with Stafford is um, you know early in the season you know, looking at the style of offense you know that they were going to be running it was one of those is one of those things where you know you knew they could come through on these huge efficiency weeks 
um, and they could have these you know big blow up games. But we didn't know if we would really be able to get it every single week. And what's been interesting with Stafford is they've had three different games now, Ian, where they've actually led by four or more points over 75% of the plays. And so those are blowouts, right? Um, you know, and when you go really dig into it deeper, like you can break that down, how often were they leading by 10, by 14, et cetera. But in these games, these were blowout games. And Stafford has finished quarterback 10, quarterback four, and quarterback seven in those games. So even in games where they're coming in as heavy favorites, even in games where they jump out to a lead, even though they don't run a ton of plays and they still, it still looks like it's, you know, still more of a, almost a run balanced offense in those games. It's not a pass heavy offense. So in these games, you're seeing passing 54%, running 46%, 54, 46. Uh, and then the other one was uh, 57, 43. So like these are games where like they're not throwing the ball around the ballpark like what we see with Josh Allen, like what we see was uh, even Justin Herbert and some of these other you know teams. It's a, it's a different style of offense, but they still throw it in critical situations and they're making big plays. You know, if you look at um, quarterbacks with at least 200 attempts, Matt Stafford's first in the league, 9.1 yards per attempt. They're creating tons of huge plays. And it's just something where they're going to score points every single week. So at first, you know, early in the season, I was kind of thinking, man, when they get in these big in these games where they're really favored, like it could I could just see Stafford kind of like have 225 yards passing because in the past we had seen McVay do that with Todd Gurley and he'd kind of pull off the gas. He'd let, you know, Jared Goff would still throw some touchdowns and everything, but he just wouldn't hit all the big plays that we're seeing now come out of this offense. And part of that is Cooper Cup really growing into his own. And he's just on another level, right, at this point in his career, um, even though he was good back then. And so, yeah, it's a really good matchup this week for Stafford. Obviously, um, if you have Stafford on your roster, you know, you're going to have him. Pretty, you're probably going to have him in the lineup. You know, there's a few guys you would have in over him. Um, but I like the matchup. It's, you know, a plus 5.9 on the quarterback strength of schedule. Um, offensive line plus uh, pass blocking, you know, advantage is a plus 19, which is doesn't sound like a lot, but like on this week's slate, that actually ranks second, uh, yeah, second best. So Stafford's in a good spot. <clears throat> you know, you also have the number one, or sorry, the number two game total. You have the number two implied points on the slate. So those things are all good. And they obviously spill over to the other players we're about to talk about. Daryl Henderson, you mentioned, like, look, he's in every down back. He's out there all the time, you know, and now you've got him in this sweet, you know, scoring environment for the week. And if you look at his running back strength of schedule, it's number three on the week and offensive line run blocking advantage is number four on the week. So it's just another smash spot, you know, Ian for Henderson. And I'm getting to the point now with Henderson every week when I rank him, I'm like, crap, I can't put him over Austin Eckler. I can't put him over Najee Harris. Like I have a number four this week. I have at Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Daryl Henderson. Then I've got Kamara, I've got Jones, I've got Cook, but I just, I can't find a way like, you know, if my spreadsheet was a Christmas tree, like, Daryl Henderson is just a strand of green. There's no red. There's nothing else. It's like it's just like all green. It's like the guy from Twister, Greenage. Like that's all I see with Daryl Henderson. It's been like that for three weeks. And if we look at it, two weeks ago he did kind of have a have a you know he kind of had a little bit. Of, he had a bust spot that week where he was thirty first. But you know it's a it's a nice Oreo cookie. And if you look at the other sides of it, PPR rank of six and PPR rank of five. So. Two out, two out of those three weeks, we've really gotten big performances out of Henderson. And then, like you mentioned, with Cooper Cup, I don't need to say a ton about it, but I am going to mention, when you look at him, he's got the number four wide receiver strength of schedule this week, and he has the number one wide receiver cornerback matchup. So it's like the rich just get richer. He's actually tied with Stefan Diggs for number one for wide receiver cornerback matchup. But when you look at Cooper Cup, you look at the Rams, you look at Daryl Henderson, the rich just continue to get richer. They're in another great spot. Obviously, 
they're a big part of it. They, they factor into the equation, but it's going to be a big week for the Rams. People, we have saved the best for last. Bears at Steelers, Pittsburgh six and a half point favorites. Week low game total of 40. Yeah, Justin Fields, it was fun last week. I am just so nervous about expecting a repeat performance because there is not a worse quarterback under pressure this year. 34 quali- qualified quarterbacks, Fields, PFF passing grade, dead last, big time throw rate, 30th, turnover worthy play rate, 31st, yards per attempt, 31st, adjusted completion rate, 31st. Surprisingly, the Steelers have been a bottom five defense and getting after the passer. I think that's a little bit more of a first half blimp than an actual like sign of things to come. So Fields, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham, who did not get traded because he has a no trade clause. All of these guys, I just don't think you want to really risk it this week if you can avoid it on that Monday night game. The only guy we can at all feel good about is Khalil Herbert, but even then, Dwayne, it is a little problematic. So, as always, we go through what we can on Sunday, and then we get more into the weeds as the week goes on. And I did notice today while doing my running back article, Damian Williams got to start last week, and he actually had two carries in his first four snaps, and then he just got the knee injury and left after that. So, we'll see. If Damian is not going to be able to play, it's a non-issue. Ryan Nall is someone that, you know, just only catches a few passes here or there. He's not an actual threat to any sort of early down work. And with that in mind, it should be the Khalil Herbert show. And if Damian Williams is, you know, limited enough to not really play, then maybe that changes things too. But it's just a note that Williams did not start in week seven. That was when he got activated one day before the game. It seems like maybe they were playing to going back to more of the 50-50 split we saw in week five. Either way though we've now had four weeks of Khalil Herbert as either the one or the 1B and in those games he has had 18 carries 22 combined carries and targets 23 combined carries and targets and then most recently 25 combined carries and targets and he looks good while doing so people so the 49ers game I know he burnt us with this production but the usage was seriously tantalizing as much as we could have asked for so keep an eye on that practice report with Damian Williams if he is ruled out or we just see him as a game time decision really feel confident about firing up Khalil Herbert. Otherwise, still, I think a solid RB2, but it would be a situation where I'd drop him down a little bit lower in whatever tier he ends up in. Dwayne, Pittsburgh. Is Najee Harris the RB1 the rest of the year at this point? Because I think he might be. I think you have to put him there. <clears throat> I mean, just looking at the utilization that he's going to get, um, you know, and then he's proven enough, you know. And look, he's still, if you look at his performance, you know, from an expected points standpoint, like there's still meat on the bone. Like <laughs> he could actually be doing more, um, but he's got to be right there. I think Eckler's in the conversation with him in. I would say, um, you know, you still got to look at Dalvin Cook, you know, and some of these other guys, but I think he's definitely in that top three mix every week. It's really hard. It's getting harder and harder to not include him in the top three pretty much every single week. So we'll get CMC back at some point, you know, and so that'll probably have some some bearing on, you know, if he's able to stay healthy, you know, what does that mean as far as, you know, the rankings for the rest of the season? But yeah, he's definitely up there. And so I won't, I won't spend a lot of time. It's, it's a solid matchup. Harris gets all the work. That's all you need to know. You're going to play Harris no matter what. Um, but looking at the receivers, man, that's who I wanted to break down just a little bit more like Deontay Johnson. Uh, 34% and 38% of the targets over the last two weeks. You know, I mean, it's just, this guy's due for a blow-up game. And I mean, he's still been, he's, he's been fine. You know, he's had uh, PPR 24, 16, 21 over the last three weeks. But like, he's due. He's due for one of those blow-up, like, lead 
lead the slate, like be the number one wide receiver on the slate, you know, type game. I know obviously Ben's got to cooperate. He's got to come along. Uh, But if you look at Deontay's wide receiver strength of schedule, Ian, he has the number one on the week as a perfect 10. So if you look at his wide receiver cornerback matchup, it's in the top 15. Claypool's working a little deeper as far as ADOT goes. Um, you know, so he's averaging 12.4 ADOT versus 10.0 for Deontay Johnson on the year. Uh, if you look at end zone targets, Claypool's also getting a little bit more work than Deontay. 31% of the targets in the end zone versus 23%. Both of them targeted on third and fourth down, 22%, 24%. This is really a I would say this is a it's a one A two A. I wouldn't say one A one B. I do you know you do have to give Deontay the nod like because he sees these thirty percent target shares pretty much every single week. But Claypool, you know he can be he can still be a nice wide receiver too, and he can pay off because he can hit those big plays. He can get the touchdowns in the end zone. So I like both of the receivers this week. They'll both be inside my top twenty. They'll probably both be inside my top eighteen. Deontay's in my top ten right now. So I mean this is probably the highest that I've had Deontay ranked all season. It might be my highest on Claypool, too. He could make it inside my top 15. I know it's I don't like the low scores, but, man, the matchup is really good. And anytime you get a condensed you know, target share, even though Ben struggled a little bit, um, I feel good about both of these receivers. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, Pat Farmouth yesterday when we were on the waiver wire show. Um, he does have a good matchup this week, so we'll see if Ebron's going to play. But if he does, um, it's pretty green. It's pretty green, Ian. You know, he's got a tight end strength of schedule of six, which is actually probably eighth on the slate, maybe ninth. It's a really good week for tight ends. But he also has a tight end matchup of a plus 24, which is going to be top six as well. So those are both good spots. Farmer was out there a little less than what we like to see normally, you know, from a standpoint of routes, only 65% last week. But his targets per route run were 25%, and the week before, 32%. So when he is out there, they're trying to get him the ball. And so that just really gives him an opportunity to be the third option behind the other two receivers that we talked about. Because really, James Washington... The rest of these guys just haven't factored in. Najee's going to be involved. So it's kind of like you got Deontay Johnson's the one, you got Claypool's the two, and really everything else is just going to the back and the tight end. Um, So despite the fact that the Steelers' passing game is struggling, um, it is a good matchup. Um, you know, just you know, it's not a great total, not a great sp- spread, any of those things. So it's really you're gonna probably look to do more of your scoring through the re- it's PPR kind of week, right? You're gonna get the receptions and the yards. Um, not saying all these guys are gonna score two or three touchdowns. It's not that kind of week. <laughs> Real quick uh, for you, sicko Monday night showdowners out there, and you can always see uh, PFF's own Kevin Cole's fantastic breakdowns for those slates. James Washington is back to being the number three receiver in three wide receiver sets. I don't know why he wasn't before their bye, but they put Ray Ray McLeod in the slot for the first game post-Juju. After their bye, they went back getting James Washington those reps. Still working well behind the other guys. He is not a standalone option. Just wanted to point that out. Probably I only care about it because I go through every single wide receiver cornerback matchup every week, but that's that. Dwayne, what's pretty funny is like last year, you know, our, uh, our boss man George got all sorts of heat from Steelers Nation when he called them the most overrated 11-0 team ever. And obviously, you know, we kind of saw that come to, we did see that come to fruition, I think. But looking at this year, man, we all really left the Steelers out, out, out for dead. Had that one and three start. And they beat the Broncos. They beat the Seahawks. They go in their bye. They get the win over the Browns. They got the Bears this week, and they got the Lions next week, man. We're about to look at the Steelers <laughs> on a freaking five-game winning streak and have to start hearing all this ish coming from the Steelers faithful again. So, yeah. Oh, well. 
People, before we get out of here, just got to take a quick break because you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. What can you get with the PFF sub? I'm happy you asked. All of our PFF locked article content, Dwayne's utilization report, my wide receiver cornerback matchups I just mentioned. Also, weekly player rankings to help you set your lineups. Our strength of schedule tool, betting dashboards, prop tool, all that and much more. Again, support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And NFL fans hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers, you can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It is that simple. Download the DraftKings Sports app now and use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game go ahead and just do that on the bills and then win $200 in free bets if they win you win a promo code pff this week at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl you must be 21 or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers only minimum five dollar deposit one dollar wager one per customer or chicken supply see draftkings.com says sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER also I'll give a shout out to our friends at western southern whether it's football success or financial savvy the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collins with a share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Alan Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both and every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a cater party for February's big game. So check out the Chris Collins podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash ask chris one more time that is westernsouthern.com slash ask chris if you're watching on youtube check out the link in the description below remember with western southern you can rest assured on game day and for you youtube listeners really appreciate you um i know we don't do a ton of like interaction with the comments and stuff during these podcasts but that was on my list as one of the things i really want to improve upon uh during the off season we'll start to get some more listener question type stuff and you know just being able to stream and interact with you all because no one i don't love anyone more in this world you know other than maybe pff lily than the people who listen to the pod might have just did a double negative and actually insulted you all but you guys know what i mean always appreciate you tuning in Dwayne, we, we've you know talked for like five hours. Your wife must just hit, wife must just hate me at this point. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, like we, I, I'm just sitting here thinking you triggered me with PFF Lily. Like well, the dogs didn't bark in this episode. Like that's the first hey. in like three weeks. Either we're doing a crappy job and we didn't have a hot enough take that they liked, <laughs> um, or you know I don't know. They're they're just napping. They are dogs. Like they get to nap a lot. I'm in the office. I should start bringing PFF Lily in here just to just to kind of keep it loose, you know. Who cares? Who cares? All right, Dwayne. Great stuff, as always. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you, as always, for tuning to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.